Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 40 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. I am your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am every single week by the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? So, I just want to get this off my chest, right? There's been all this Here talk, all he's, this discussion... He's, he's, a, he's already on one. All this discussion lately about... Um, what's the correct pronoun to use for, for transgenders, right? Wait, wait what for it. What the fuck? <laughs> wait for it. Where was... Wait for it. Wait for it. Which in itself is ridiculous that we need to have that discussion uh, and the fact that people, I feel like it's so much hard work just to find out what they want to be called. I didn't realise that this extended into the yachts and boats. We need to figure out what the pronoun ah, for them should be yeah. now. Yeah. How out of touch and out of reality is my government? It's very distressing. They're not yours anymore. We got you now. Don't worry. We got your back, buddy. <sighs> yeah, the Royal Britannia. A she, apparently. <laughs> we're also going to be joined later on, speaking of your, your fine homeland, we're going to be joined later on in the program by Chaz Ali, who's a gameplay programmer over at Boss Studios, a name you might remember for being the studio behind the likes of Surgeon Simulator and I Am Bread. He's going to be on the book club this week, talking to us about Resident Evil 4, and a lovely chat it was, Mark. He is what we uh, call in the business a fine man, with a little tilde bang at the end of it. A fine man, a good lad. He's a good and, lad. And quite good a chat. Lad. Quite a chat was had. Yeah. Anyway, Mark, how has your week been? I mean, other than, you know... It's been eventful. <laughs> I, I can't keep my eyes off of The Guardian at the moment. There's been live, live feeds of every, uh, you know, uh, conference and speech over the last few days. Oh, man. It's just one shitstorm after another. The entire world is going to have to take, like, a long shower <laughs> after November 8th. This shitstorm that election has been. But let's not... Okay. Let's not just... politicise things too much. Let's talk about something a bit more jaunty. You went out to the west of Ireland I last did. weekend. And... Or as we call it here in Ireland, the West. I have... Uh, your fun Irish fact for the week. Yes, so... Because I, we, we I like kind of have... bombed out last week. Yeah, yeah. Mark forgot the first week we were going to do the gimmick of what <laughs> has Mark learned about Ireland this week. He didn't do his homework. So this week, I'm assuming, because you've got out into the West, It's that's Ireland, Ireland out there, you know. Relatively speaking, where we are here, you know, yeah. within an hour of Dublin is Cosmopolis by comparison. Well, to be fair, my fact isn't, like, too far out west. It's more kind of central Ireland. Right. So it was it was on your way, on the journey. Yeah, yeah, Where yeah. were you, by the way? Well, so... I, I've very nebulously said the west, as if there's one town <laughs> called West, <laughs> and then it's the sea, well, which isn't too far off. I mean, like, most, where you are. most people in England, when we think of the west, we just think of Goy at best. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, no, I was in County Mayo, so I've ticked off another county now. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm flying through them at an alarming rate. Yeah, uh, yeah it was in Westport, <clears throat> and uh, it's a very very beautiful part of the world. Mm. Uh, actually, I preferred it even more to to Galway. Yeah. Um, it's the place but... where um, if you're if you're visiting Ireland for like a stag party or a hen party, everyone goes to Dublin. Everyone goes to Temple Bar. Mm-hmm. If you're from Ireland, you know everyone goes to Temple Bar for the stag party or the hen party. So uh, Irish people will often go to Westport. Yeah, that was actually the conversation we had had over the weekend about it. Um, yeah. So one of... It's the proper lads weekend away spot. Yeah, one of Laura's friends who... Uh, she's been in Australia for a year. And she's back for um, about two months or so with her American boyfriend before they move to New Zealand. Cause it's, Pit stop. Yeah, because it's <laughs> the place apparently they can actually live together. Because, uh, yeah. you know, visas and all that. Mm. 
and her parents have a holiday home in in Westport, you know, on the beach, yeah. and uh, just oh, an incredible part of the world. Mm. Um, some of the, the beaches that we walked along, some of the scenery, uh, went surfing for the first time. Um, I had to simulate drowning for 10 minutes for uh, Laura's friend's brother who was uh, doing a project um, that I can't really speak about, but it involved me drowning, so make of that what you will. There were drones involved. Wish for Melbourne to basically. Yeah, yeah. But my fact, <laughs> my fact of the week, the uh, in Mullingar, the uh, the Joe Dolan Memorial Bridge. Oh, you got did, did you see the statue yet? I don't know if I've seen the statue. Oh, there's a Joe Dolan statue in Mullingar is as there, well. I think we, it's Mullingar. We might, we probably. I would imagine if the bridge is there, surely the yeah. statue is there. But yeah, the Joe Dolan Memorial Bridge, the longest bridge in Ireland that doesn't uh, cross a body of water. <laughs> just cross like a Tesco. Uh, just a large <laughs> field. <laughs> It's I was fantastic. like, oh, quintessentially Irish. Yeah, that's that's pretty great. That's um, pretty solid Midlands banter there for and you. And also, somewhere along the way as well, there was like a giant cello like buried into the side of a hill, which was a thing that I saw as well. So, yeah, you're, your country's interesting. I'll yeah, say strong that review of Westport, though? Uh, oh, like, I, I, as I said, I much preferred it to, to go away. I, I think part of it is we only spent the evening in Gaul. We had to kind of rush around. We didn't get to the Aran Islands, where I had a whole weekend and then some. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I really want to go back there. Um, there's the uh, Corpatrick, is that? Crowpatrick. Crowpatrick, yeah. yeah. Uh, we was going to climb that, didn't get a chance, but, I mean, basically... There... Were you told what the tradition is for climbing Crowpatrick? <sighs> Because it is a kind of it's a popular religious pilgrimage to do to climb Crowpatrick. Okay, but uh, the the hardcore way to do it is apparently get baptized. Uh, no, do it in your bare feet. Climb Crowpatrick in your bare feet. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, that's, I think yeah, I'll pass. a lot of people do do that. Uh, it's utter sure madness. Utter yeah. madness. But uh, but basically, like I took some pictures, and the mountains were literally like just outside the front door of their house. Just incredible. So yeah, I had a very nice time this weekend. Yeah. So now you've kind of you've you've gone to the west of it. You've you've travelled the Midlands, and kind of we're in the the east of the country. So yeah, it's it really kind of north north and south. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, in Northern Ireland. I mean, we briefly... We, we, we briefly went up to Oma <laughs> that time we were yeah. returning the van when you um, moved here. But yeah, it's it's the south. Yeah. It's left to do. The south shall rise again, man. Um, Joey Tribbiani. I'll, I'll leave you to do the southwest, and I'll get um, Sarah, at Scanley on Twitter, to do the southeast for me. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. See be... see which accent I can't decipher the quickest out of the two. <laughs> be a good time. Um, what have you been up to? What have you been doing? Because I, I, to be fair, we've barely seen each other this week. Yeah, know? you've been busy with that and returning to the rat race. Yeah, which you are all too enthusiastic about. Ah, it's all right. Um, yeah, like not really much to speak of. Like just general fucking adulting around sorting bills. Uh, the kind of uh, our our good friend Tom, his son's christening was last weekend, so we were at that, which is weird. You know that moment in your life where like your friends start having kids. Yeah, I got one of mine that's having a kid, and yeah. if I, uh, if you've I, also got to that stage in life as well where your friends are getting married. I mean, so it's still only the one. Like yeah. I've got a few that are engaged, but I'm I doubt I'm going to be really back home for any of them. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and to be fair, one of them got engaged pretty much just to shut her up, which is you know the true <laughs> definition of romance. If I've never heard a truer definition. Uh, I know, right? But uh, like apart from that kind of stuff, um, like just been watching a bit of TV, keeping keeping my eye out and stuff. Uh, Couple of things I want to talk about. There's there's a few bits of uh, Marvel news. You're you're a fan of the the Marvel fair. You've uh, you like the movies. I am a, a casual Marvel yeah. fan. You're yeah. not like in terms of like their the kind of the MCU shall we say as opposed to you're not a Marvel reader. 
No, I mean, I've yeah. read, like, I've, I actually think I've probably read more uh, DC and I would imagine, Image. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, Image is probably the, the, the most I've read. Image is the, like, the imprint of the day. Yeah, um, I'm, maybe it's just the, the hipster scumbag in me, but yeah. it's... Well, I have this strategy when I go into comic book shops, not to get too far off what I wanted to talk about, but I have this strategy when I go into a comic book shop, and I urge anybody here listening to this to try the same strategy, and it's pick up a random volume one of any image comic book you see because usually image uh for a single trade paperback is cheaper than a dc or a marvel one which is to be expected really yeah well like it's, here, it's kind of like here marvel almost. like if they're the thinner ones the thinner trades are about 19.99 then the thick then the dc ones are about 24.95 yeah uh, image is 11.95 like uh, yeah. unless it's one of the really popular ones like wicked and divine is about 14 quid. and imagine and just just think how much that's all been fucked up in england yeah yeah but like um here's the thing like uh, like you you buy any sort of like i don't think i've had one that i've bought just by looking at the cover and going it's a volume one of an image comic book that i've been disappointed by so far and i've got a lot of them up there you yeah know, like, i mean like the first thing you did when i got over is you just handed me saga and i don't tend to kind of blitz through things um certainly when it comes to comics but i i think you've got like four or five editions six, six. Oh, yeah i think i, I don't five. think you've read i don't think you've read six no i haven't by blitz through all five in yeah, i think while week. you were reading through all five i got six yeah um, uh well seven is I, out soon. uh yeah marvel uh, yeah i like marvel yeah um, so yeah. so you're familiar with their their movies you've dipped a little bit into the tv the daredevil you've watched i've done both seasons of daredevil which I you're a fan a of big fan of the second yeah. season of daredevil uh, okay um, it's funny a lot of people like Barry who was on the show there last week is all the way around yeah, like he prefers yeah. season one and I, I can understand why because I know he I, I'm pretty sure he prefers Kingpin to mm. Punisher as a big figure in the thing I was kind of I really like season two because they finally did Punisher right mm. yeah you know um, much as I did enjoy I love Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin he's, I, I, he's pretty much like everything he's in he's like the most magnetic thing mm-hmm. in you know he's, he's amazing he's fucking great in the Law and Order series he was in that's how great I'll he is. Take your word for oh, it. He genuinely is like. But anyway, um, a, a few bits and pieces over the last few weeks have come out about the kind of the, the the kind of the state of the union for Marvel. Um, obviously Luke Cage came out a couple of weeks ago, and I I think I gave some early impressions of it on the show, or definitely to you in person. But I've I've finished it. I finished it last weekend. Okay. All thirteen episodes. Um, because there's not a lot coming out at the moment in terms of TV, I wanted to kind of take my time with it. So I think it took me the guts of a week, maybe two weeks even, to get through it all. But uh, what I really like about Marvel's TV product is that the movies are kind of pitched both at kids and adults. In it, you know what I mean? Um, so, like, there's stuff in there for the family. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy on the face of it, there's a lot of family-friendly stuff in there. Like, you've got a talking raccoon and a tree that hang out and shoot guns. Yeah, they do. You know what I mean? The kids love that shit. But then, like, you've got stuff... Th- like humor in there that's clearly for adults like for instance the bit where star lord says that you know if you shone a black light on a ship it'd light up like a jackson pollock painting yeah, yeah stuff like that you know so they're pitched at two levels those films um the tv stuff is not no <laughs> the tv not for the children the... if you are leaving your children in the room and turning on the netflix marvel series you have made a mistake in your parenting the biggest kind of the the moment that that really kind of dawned on me i think it's the third episode of daredevil where the guy like headbutts himself into a spike oh yeah i was like oh yeah hmm, that was graphic yeah between like the graphic violence and daredevil then there's like the whole jessica jones which is a really interesting character study on like the concept of like survivor's guilt and like survivors of domestic uh 
abuse, both physical and sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, so not for kids that one. Um, and Luke Cage, this one as well, definitely not for kids. And the thing I really love about the TV, as opposed to the the, the films, the films have this kind of professional sheen on them, and kind of like a they they feel very much like you know like popcorn films yeah. even even the seri- even the more serious ones like definitely the second avengers film is a darker avengers film but it's still a popcorn film you know because it's still got the the quippy banter back and forth all the time which is going to happen if robert downey jr is nearby but these tv shows are all about the slow burn they're all about creating a mood and each one of them creates a different mood you know what i mean like the like daredevil feels completely different from jessica jones Jessica Jones feels completely different from Luke Cage. Like Luke Cage takes a lot of its keys from like black exploitation films mm-hmm. and, and things like that and has like just just simple things like the the way they soundtrack each one of those shows make them completely different. Like um Jessica Jones had a very kind of tense eerie soundtrack. Daredevil was kind of uh heart racing actiony soundtrack and this is just proper like soul and roots and blues music kind of like they all the soundtrack really, um, really helps me out. Like I, I gotta say, for a guy I didn't really know anything about before he showed up as Luke Cage in Jessica Jones, Mike Coulter, unbelievable performance. Yeah. Um. Also, the guy I can't. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. I can't think of his name. Who plays Copperhead? In, no point asking me. Yeah. Who plays Copperhead in Luke Cage is absolutely amazing. He was the guy you would probably best know him from either being the one of the the SWAT team guys in the latter Hunger Games movies. Never seen or Games. as the pretty good movies. I've got Battle Royale. Uh, or as uh, Remy in House of Cards, for those of you who like those. But uh, it's a really good series. I think I still... Th- uh, I think my favourite is still Jessica Jones. But it is definitely competing for the number two slot in there. And it definitely... It's the one that has felt the most original and the least like any other thing in the marvel universe and i can't wait for them to come together in the defenders which is the next thing i'm going to start leading towards i was going to say talking about do you feel that the the quality of the the tv series is having any kind of negative impact on any of the films in any way yeah, I, well i do in a certain extent because uh, i'm starting to think that outside of guardians of the galaxy and outside of um the captain america 2 uh, Captain America Winter Soldier I think a lot of these films are starting to get homogenized like even so Avengers 2 for me looking back on it now was disappointing because you had Ultron one of the great nemeses of the Avengers and I don't think he was pulled off as well as he could have been I think a lot of this has he to do he should have with... really like if it wasn't pitched as much at children like because Ultron is supposed to be scary as fuck yeah you know what I mean? What what the problem is, uh, and it's 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 kind of a problem that can't really be solved, is you have these films where you have these kind of core characters, but you have to sort of introduce an origins yeah. plot for another character, well, and then put it into this film, but, which is uh, part of a big. The thing universe. about it as well is that because they have this, the Marvel movies have this habit of killing off villains. Hmm. They're also having to give an origin story to a villain every single film. Yeah, that's just what I said. Yeah. Yeah, but like not only just the new characters because they're introducing new heroes well, pretty no, much but, every film now. Why well, I meant yeah. by by the villain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, like, they've killed, they've gone through, like, spoilers for people they've gone through in these films so far, right? They've already burned through the Mandarin, who is Iron Man's biggest enemy in the comics. And they fucked him royally. I'm not getting into that again. That would be at least the fourth time we've gone about yeah, this on the right? show. Yeah, right, so um, they've burned through Ronan the Accuser. They have burned through Ultron. Uh, they've basically burned through Loki, like, basically turning him babyface, although he's going back to being the bad guy in <laughs> yeah. Thor Ragnarok from everything I, I read. Um and stuff like that. like they they just kind of like there there are there's nothing wrong but I think it's the it's the kind of it's the temptation when you're writing a Hollywood blockbuster there has to be a definitive end. Well, you kind um, of to do. to the little arc, but there's there's nothing wrong to the definitive end. Like at the end of say Dark Knight, which is arguably the greatest comic book movie ever made, Batman doesn't kill the Joker. But like obviously in the comic book scene, he doesn't kill the Joker. Like Batman doesn't kill. That's the whole that's the whole shtick. But like he is captured and is brought to a satisfying conclusion. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, so you the can thing capture is, the villain. The, the thing is, Batman is kind of an unfair thing because he doesn't kill. So, yeah. like, he, he's not really the best example to use here. But most but what, of most of the superheroes who uh, are big fans of killing aren't in the MCU. No. and Namely the, Wolverine. <laughs> the thing is, on the flip side of that, you can't have too many films, even though they're part of a universe. If you have a film which just feels like it's just part of a bigger plot, then you run the risk of having all these films that just don't... Because you have to make it work as a singular piece, and you need to have an arc within that. To that, that, and this is the last thing before we get back to the couple of quick things I want to talk about. To that, my only argument would be that, in spite of how much they have at certain points royally fucked up the franchise, Fox, for as long as they've been doing X-Men films, have not been tempted to kill off Magneto. No, but, like... And the X-Men do have an awful lot of villains. But all has, they do ma- is... Has Magneto ever been kind of, like, properly officially killed off? He... Yes. Well... <laughs> here's the thing. Oh, yeah. Comic books. Yeah, yeah. comic books. <laughs> you know what I mean? No one ever really dies. No. Um, but this is the thing. is like... They all end satisfactorily because, like, Magneto is thwarted. But not to a permanent end. You can always bring back these guys. There are windows to bring back some of them. Not the Mandarin. The Mandarin was fairly definitively gotten rid of. Um, or was he? Because there was a Marvel one-shot on one of the DVDs that suggested he wasn't. Also, I will say is this. The whole point of this MCU universe is to do with Thanos anyway. Yeah, but so he's there kind are of going to be o- films after that. Well, I mean, I would say, I would say, and I'm not the one here who's making a ridiculous amount of money mm-hmm. that they should get to the point where they end with Thanos at the end of Phase 3 whenever it is and then stop with the MCU. They already have films announced for after well, Infinity War. Well, that for me is part of a never-ending... Pr- for the last two years. Yeah, this is... Well, I don't pay as much attention to you. Yeah. That is part of a never-ending problem and is what I would classify as oversaturation. It wouldn't be as much of a problem if you had quality antagonists. Well, I guess... You know what I mean? But that's that. that's just my, my own, uh, my, my own uh, nitpicking. But uh, what I want to lead into is like, um, so this this is starting to build towards the this this Luke Cage is starting to build towards the the kind of the Marvel Netflix equivalent of the Avengers, which are the Defenders, which are four heroes based around like the Hell's Kitchen and Bronx areas, New York, that come together to fight crime. Now the Defenders have had a bunch of different members in the comics over the years. Like, I believe Namor the Submariner was in the Defenders. He's not going to be appearing in this version of the Defenders. You're just saying words to me. Nor is the Hulk. So you're familiar with um, Hulk, that one, right? Yeah. Um, so these these defenders are going to be Daredevil, uh, Luke Cage, 
Jessica Jones and the man who we saw the first trailer for at New York Comic Con last week, and that is the Immortal Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is going to be another series that is going that already looks like it's going to feel distinctly different because this is essentially going to be like a Kurosawa revenge film stretched out into a series because it's basically. I'm not going to bore you with the details of Danny Rand's uh, origin story, but just think like Immortal Ninja. Sure. And that's what you're dealing with, with super strength. Isn't that the hand? That's, it's, it's all connected. Okay, all right. It's okay. all connected, my friend. <laughs> I'm glad I could figure that one out without yeah. knowing fuck all about. It, it's all connected. And Marvel. the four of them are going to come together. And the other, the, the final announcement I want to make, that's awesome. Did you see this? Where they said they had the de- all four defenders for the first time at New York Comic Con on stage together, so it was a cool photo op. And Kevin Feige, who's the head of Marvel Studios, was was just like, "Oh, we better introduce the villain." Okay. And the villain they have not said who she is playing, but the villain for the defenders, and I'm going to think there's going to be some great uh, back and forth happening here. So you've got Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Daredevil coming up against Sigourney Weaver. I did see yes oh. I, I saw something about Sigourney Weaver there <laughs> having um, it yeah she's um, she was one of my good girls back in the day you know <laughs> yeah. what I was actually she is um, actually no it wasn't Sigourney Weaver it was Susan Sarandon I sometimes get those two confused no Susan Sarandon was in a film that I watched over the weekend yeah. but yeah Sigourney Weaver is also yeah she's a she's a very good actress so that would be very cool to see good time and you know nerd goddess from the alien movies well uh, yeah um, the other thing I want to talk about is Westworld. I'm only going to talk about this very briefly because I still haven't a fuck what's going on in it. <laughs> but uh, Westworld is the new HBO series that's being touted as the successor in terms of cultural phenomenon to Game of Thrones. That is where the comparison to Game of Thrones ends in as much as it will be a cultural phenomenon that's on HBO. These shows could not be more different apart from that. Whereas um, Game of Thrones is all like magic and fantasy and stuff like that. This is high concept sci-fi mixed with a western so are you familiar with westworld at all no not until brian came down the other day and started uh, banging on about it i never okay, heard so of it westworld before. the tv series is based on a movie by the same name starring yul brenner and written by michael crichton michael crichton you may best know as the mind behind jurassic park yeah Right. Okay. So in Westworld, we are talking about a theme park as well. But in this theme park, it's one where in set in the uh, the, the the vague and indistinct future, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an unspecified time, where um, kind of really rich people get to go and live in this massive realistic simulation with androids set in the old west. Okay, mm-hmm. and what happens in the movie Westworld and what is starting to slowly happen in the first two episodes of the show but I don't want to give away the show so I'll focus more on the film here is that stuff starts to go wrong with the androids the androids start to remember because the whole thing is that once uh, one cycle of rich people coming in and doing their adventure ends they reset and they forget everything Yeah. so all of a sudden the androids start to become more self-aware mm-hmm and start to remember things that they're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. And shit goes wrong. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, another intellectual property by Michael Crichton where a theme park opens and things start going wrong. Someone needs to find out if something bad happened to Michael Crichton at Alton Towers or something. <laughs> because, dear God, he has a vendetta with theme parks where things go awry. But... The first two episodes of this show are fucking like, it, it's so 
like it's one of these things where you can just money is just bleeding out of the screen that's how expensive it looks yeah you've got the likes of like well-known actors like uh, evan rachel wood um ed harris um fanny newton and Sir Anthony Hopkins. I did see his name in the credits. And among that others, kind of threw me off. There are other ones who are kind of like you would know them to see as well-known TV people, TV yeah. faces, you know. Um, but they're all like they're all in it. It's it's incredibly like all the sets are so richly designed. The music is beautiful. Like this, there's a gimmick with like um in the saloon. There's a piano that at the start of the day starts playing different songs in the kind of jaunty old west piano style so some some songs i've noticed it playing like painted black and black hole sun and uh <laughs> no surprises radiohead yeah, yeah okay shit like saying, that yeah. yeah so i was like yeah that, that's pretty cool like should i point out as well uh, a fun fact for you do you want to know the first film that i saw that was kind of based on you know artificial intelligence and sort of self-aware robots was it ai no it was will smith's Oh god, I robot. Oh god, that's like remember not exactly talking a, about not the, exactly a benchmark. No, it's a ninety-minute commercial for Audi and Converse, if you remember yeah. rightly. Since then, that had an interesting concept buried way down deep. Yeah. Um, since then, since then, I have done my homework. I've seen Blade Runner, etc., etc. I've read Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Do you only need to actually? Uh, we're going to move on now onto onto video games, like we're supposed to. <laughs> but uh, the, the one thing you need to watch if you want to talk about high concept sci-fi, it's not Android related, but uh, I rewatched it last night. Is Looper, which yeah, I, I I've now rewatched, and I I do firmly believe now it is the best original concept for a sci-fi movie I've seen in God knows how long. Is that that's uh, Bruce Wilson Willis, and Joe Gordon, Gordon Levis, Emily yeah. Blunt, yeah. and Paul Dano, that and Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. For, Paul, for, Paul Dano was the the preacher in There Will Be Blood. For, for, I had a uh, uh, Paul Daniels in my head there for a second, which <laughs> would have been <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a right. kind of different film. Shall we talk about video games? Sure. Okay, playing this week. Hey, check it out! I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy Two. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, it's not been a big video game week for you. You've not been delving into kind of uncharted waters. You're 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 buried under Undertale. I've been a busy lad. You have, yeah. in fairness. But no, I you've figured... not been at home much. Like you were gone for the last, since our last recording. You've Friday been gone... till Monday. Yeah, yeah. So you've been gone for four of the seven days. Yeah. No, I figured this would be the time to talk about Undertale. Uh, so I've been playing that as part of my Mark on Monday's uh, stream. Check it out on Link to the Cast YouTube channel. Yeah, you should. And I'm I'm pretty close to the finish now. So I, I figured, you know, this would be... I think I'm like one episode left to do. So I figured this would be the time to talk about it. On top of the fact that I've not played anything else this week. Uh, other than watching you play Beyond Two Souls. And I don't want to talk about that game. <laughs> so I, I heard a lot of rumblings about Undertale when it was released last year uh, i can't remember if it, if it exactly came out around about the time that i went to china but i know it was um it was a game that people were playing people were talking about and people were saying really good things about and to be fair it's actually a game i could have downloaded and played while i was away but it is a an rpg or it's kind of based off of the kind of well i say it's based off of the tropes of your typical jrpgs but 
it kind of... Uh, it's based off subversions of those tropes. Yeah, it bends and breaks the 4-4 of these kind of tropes in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. Yeah, as well as bend and, bending and breaking your brain in the process. Certainly, certainly. Now, <clears throat> I ask you, like, what is your knowledge of Undertale? What have you heard about Undertale other than Austin Walker giving it all the praises? Yeah, I know it uh, is fucking weird. I know anytime I ask you what you're doing in it, you say a thing that I would half swear you're just sticking together a bunch of nouns to appease me. <laughs> uh, and I watched about five minutes of one of your streams just to make sure, like, you know, when it went up that it was up. Yeah. Uh, but apart from that, I got nothing. Yeah, I mean, the, the game starts you off because um, like it's because it's turn based combat and, and that's yes. usually a, a turn off for me. That's that's usually one of the <clears> kinds of yeah. But the thing with I sound like fucking Jim Connett coughing every few seconds here. Uh, the the thing is like pretty much straight away, this idea of turn based combat is not the case at all because yeah. every uh, like battle that you get into, first of all the character designs are interesting and unique <laughs> and different. But then you have peculiar. Peculiar. You have a couple of options. You can fight. You can uh, act. You can use an item, or you can use mercy. So you can either spare the the enemy, or you can flee. Can't always do that. You sometimes you have to kind of get to a point. You have to trigger a point where you can spare the the enemy. And it all plays into like one of the last scenes in the game. Um, you, the, the way that the, the battle mechanics work is that you have like a little heart and basically you enter like a kind of bullet hell sequence you know games like Ikaruga R-Type those kind of games mm. where the the enemy says something and then whatever their kind of attack is you have a, a square uh, your heart's I in the middle I but you look like a priest is it because I'm wearing a black shirt and my hands are in the air and I'm yeah it's and the wires all the shine off the wire makes it look like you have the white collar yeah? as well yeah okay it's Thanks. fucking weird <laughs> anyway yeah sorry <laughs> Um, yeah, so you have the square, you have the heart, and you have uh, the, the enemy's attacks kind of raining down on you. And basically, you have to dodge the attacks. And the way that Toby Fox, the creator of Undertale, kind of twists and bends and molds this throughout the game, like, the level of originality and creativity never ceases to amaze me. And some of the enemy designs, like, there is a point where uh, you are uh, you're on a, a cooking show with a killer robot, who, for some reason, really likes to call you darling a lot. Um, he also has a point where he's broadcasting a news channel and then points to you that there's a dog, but that dog is a bomb, but also the basketball's a bomb and the glass of water's a bomb, and you have to find them all, grab them all. Um, and then you end up having a fight with him later where he basically turns into an electronic David Bowie. It's... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But the the idea, and you don't find this out till the end of the game, so spoiler alert, um, you get EXP and love. So for the amount of EXP that you collect, you gain more love, which is basically more health. But EXP stands for, um, oh Jesus, was it like extermination points? And love stands for, uh, oh Jesus, I can't even remember now, something to do with violence, basically. Um, so they're, they're acronyms for something else. Uh, and what happens is that without the game telling you, and it's not as binary as it kind of sounds, but if you kill loads of enemies, you get a different ending to like a pacifist ending. But obviously doing the pacifist way through the game is a lot harder because you don't have as much health. Um, but you can spare enemies, collect gold and collect items for um, like health regeneration and that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
and it's just a very funny game. It's a very witty and fourth wall breaking kind of funny. Funny. Um, it, at some points, you might even think it's kind of coming across as a little bit pretentious and hipsterish in the way it's funny. But like, I was generally laughing out loud in a way that not many games have ever made me do. Um, and you know. You get there's a few points where you're kind of like, what exactly am I doing here? Because the game doesn't really lead you along. I mean, it's very linear in its approach. Um, you're never really like too flummoxed about where you need to go. But in terms sometimes about what is exactly is you need to do, it's kind of like the old point and click adventures where you just kind of start trying shit and trying to make sense of it. Like there's a bit where there's a statue that's being rained on and you pick up an umbrella and put the umbrella over its head and it starts playing a song to play in a piano that's like two rooms. Uh, behind you um yeah i it's just it's definitely a game that i can see why people were talking about it last year and a lot of people had it on their top 10 list um and i think we've got a category for 2016's game of 2015 or 2015's game of 2016 yeah it's probably going to be there for me um i do wish that i played it last year and kind of been a part of the hype when everyone else was talking about it uh, but like definitely, I, I'd recommend it for anyone who has heard about it, but not actually sat down with it. Um, and I include you in that. And it definitely makes me want to think about trying Earthbound at some point because you know I I'm, have Earthbound. I know it's. I think I have Earthbound. Well, I could just download it. I think it's a fiver on Wii U. Yeah, I have other nefarious means. I uh, you might want to do a playthrough. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I think my next playthrough needs to be something a little bit less uh, intense. Um, I was thinking about. Well, we'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we won't have all our staff meetings on the Yeah, end. yeah. Uh, but no, it's it's just. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to find the words to describe it because there's very few games that I've played like it, which is kind of the point of it. And the soundtrack is incredible. Like the entire game was made by by Toby Fox. Like it's all him. Um, and it was amazing enough that Stardew Valley is all by one guy. Axiom Verge, one guy. Axiom Verge, one guy. You know, it's like we where we were talking about and celebrating the the bedroom programmers of the eighties. You know, adventure made by one guy. You know, we look at Spelunky, one guy. You know, uh, it's kind of crazy what people yeah. are doing in twenty sixteen. So yeah, uh, Undertale is absolutely recommended. I've been playing a couple of games that are probably going to. You talked about how we have a category about you know last games, uh, game of this year, last yeah. year's game, last of year's this game year. this year, yeah. yeah. Um, um, we also have a category that we haven't, I haven't got a name down for it yet. I was going to call it best meh game of the year, mm -hmm. but I, your best seven out of 10. Yeah. Your best seven, eight out of 10 game. And I played two games that I think are going to strongly feature in that category this year. Uh, the first of them is WWE 2K17, mm -hmm. which just came out there a couple of days ago. Talk to me. Interesting. Um, like I don't think we need to bore anybody with the extensive history of the WWE games, but uh, long story short, couple of great entries on the N sixty four. WrestleMania two thousand people like a lot. No, no Mercy is still the standard bearer for a lot of people who were around at the time. The SmackDown series that has been going on since the start of the PlayStation uh, and has morphed now into the WWE two K series through kind of having gone through. Various iterations moved to being called SmackDown vs. Raw, moved to being called WWE and Year, uh, and then once THQ folded, the license being bought by 2K, um, has been littered with, there's been occasional 
great games. A lot of people like the original SmackDown because it offered a really quick arcadey alternative to I what was going on in the back N64. to play that over the last couple of months. Yeah. It's kind of an unplayable mess. Yeah, no, I, I bet it would be. Um, I, I think of the original SmackDown games, I think SmackDown Here Comes the Pain is the one that's generally agreed upon as the best yeah, one of those. That's the one I'd go for. Of the SmackDown versus Raw games, there's a couple of okay entries, nothing memorable, but when it moved then to WWE then year uh, i think wwe 13 is the last one that people really like in the franchise that's the one with cm punk on the cover the attitude era mode uh big roster kind of in-depth career mode storytelling stuff like that and actually still fun combat and it feels like since then they've gone for quality over quantity with a couple of mini puzzle lock sort of mechanics mm, mm. and have just slowed the gameplay down to a grinding halt. Now, this year's uh, entry, I think, is a step back in the right direction. I do agree with a lot of criticism that they do kind of need to just overhaul the whole thing at a certain point. Well, we were saying yesterday that they need to do what some other games like Ubisoft are doing with yeah, Assassin's Creed. take State. a year out. Take a year out. Yeah, take a just year out. You don't have to do one every year. That nine-month cycle is not sustainable for certainly for how long they've been using that engine now yeah yeah like certain games that are working off an engine and a system that works it's fine for like fifa can put out a pretty good game at worst every year yeah you know what I mean? but that's because the fundamentals of fifa's physics and engine are fine and they are also working off in an of, of an engine that's not originally theirs yeah and and ea own all the money in the world as well well yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah so but i will say this is the the best of the 2K games of the three. This is also the best one since WWE 13. I think they have taken a lot of the weightiness out. That Not to say that it feels very flighty and that the combat doesn't feel like it has crunch to it. But it doesn't feel as plodding and monotonous and slow as before. It's really reeled back from making you do those lock-picking things. Um, except at very specific moments. You can still go and do most of them if you want to mm-hmm. uh, the ones they've kept in as being necessary I think are the ones that no one really had a problem with like when you're doing ground grappling being able to find the, the hot spot and move into like your like when you're doing your proper amateur wrestling on the ground I don't think anyone really had a problem with that because that's not too far off the way the UFC games do it Um, I don't think anyone really once they get used to the mechanic has a problem with the way the kickouts are done Um, like you had a bit on the stream we did you kind of because it was your first time with it you didn't quite get it straight away (laughs) but there's nothing necessarily wrong with that idea that that's how you do the kickouts Mm. you know rather than just no meter at all and you're just tapping all the buttons and hoping i think it's a nice way to go It, it adds drama to it where you can get skilled enough that if you can stop that thing in an ever increasingly small green window that you're in with a chance i think i've always preferred um, the idea of uh, like in No Mercy where you know the finish has been hit on you and your bar has gone down into like the deep deepest of blues mm. but you still get that kick out of 2.9 yeah. for some reason I find that more satisfying yeah well look, you still can do that in this I've definitely had that um, I, I, I think like of the mechanics that they added I think in recent years I think that's one that I have the least amount of problem with for sure but um yeah, they've, they've added a bit of speed to it. They've added a bit of depth and taken away some of the monotony in career mode. Like, I remember, I think my career mode is at something like, not in this one, in last year's one, was at something like 24 hours. 
and I hadn't won a mid-card title yet. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely, the way that game is built is not great for easy progression. And I don't mean easy progression in I want everything handed to me sort of way. I mean, like, logical progression where you feel like you're being rewarded for working at the game. In this, there's definitely a quick progression. Like, I've only had the game two days and I'm already United States champion. Now, granted, I've put in a few hours and, uh, you know, bought my upgrades and stuff like that. So, like, um, you can spend time in NXT and stuff like that. It doesn't force you to do any one thing at a time. Um, it's much more hands-off that way. Um, I think the, the overhaul they've done to the menus in this one, I think we really like the menus. Oh, well, I mean, they're very simplistic, like you said, kind of reminiscent of, of kind of a bloggy sort of format where it's just very pared back and simple. Yeah, as I was saying to you, um, a lot of games are doing this with their menus mm. these days. A lot of the sports games are kind of bloggifying, except, except Madden, as you pointed out, are simplifying the, the way the menus kind of look. And I mean, to be fair, there, there's no point of doing it any other way because it's just it's a thing that you don't need to mm. spend time faffing around with. Yeah. I think it was one of the dirt games I played not too long ago where the menu was just it was just a mess you know mm. like a really overproduced overdesigned mess that didn't yeah. need to be the way it was so that's the menu the load times are much quicker um there's obviously the as with all these games there seems to be some absolutely hilarious glitches everybody look them up on on twitter there's some great ones like I've naomi getting sh- caught in a shopping cart i've seen some and becoming like a monster from silent hill yeah, going I, down I the corridor what was going on there there is some hilarious stuff uh, as there always will be with these kind of games um but yeah all in all i think a better experience i think the customization options within wwe i think wwe universe mode was a really and they hatched onto that around wwe 13 which is this great kind of procedurally generated, like not career mode because there's no overarching, you're not following one guy, you can play with whoever you like or no one you like and just sim the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But the the customization options are absolutely fantastic. Like uh, someone I, I saw, uh, one of our friends, I can't remember who, so I don't want to shout them out in case I'm picking the wrong person, but one of our friends has replaced SmackDown with Progress Yeah. <laughs> in universe mode. So there are progress shows every Tuesday night. Um, the, the, some of the, the the community creations, which was a thing that was slow and buggy, and servers would often not respond when you tried to go on and download people that uh, wrestlers that other people had created. That works much better this year. Already a couple of days in, I'm starting to see some some really good creations go up there. People get really crazy creative with that stuff, and I don't I don't just mean Ken Bone being a, a downloadable wrestler on it or Harambe. It's the anthropomorphic that word I can never say anthropomorphic and. Anthropomorphic. <laughs> You'll get there someday, buddy. Oh boy, I've just exposed myself there. <laughs> yeah, um, the ones that they do with Pikachu are the ones that always just the Squirtle one was fucking frightening. There's a gif. That, uh, check at link to the cast on Twitter. I, I've been retweeting a, a couple of the great ones I've seen. There's a gif from a couple of years ago of like Wario and uh, I've Wild seen. Luigi. Yeah, I've seen. Oh, oh man, it's <laughs> creepy as shit. They're amazing. Um, the other game I've been playing that's probably going to feature into this best good but not great game of the year is mafia 3 mm-hmm. now mark have you ever played a game in the mafia series before nope because i hadn't nope. uh, i no. knew there were games what i knew, I knew of there them, were games yeah <laughs> what i knew of them is that there were these kind of games where they were like i said good not great that there was the germ of a really cool kind of gta but not gta with a period feel to it because with the exception of vice city GTA has never had the feel of a period to it. You know what I mean? And I would still say that GTA Vice City is the best GTA game ever made. But that's just me. 
I'm just crazy like that. Okay. Um, Mafia 3. The first thing that strikes you when you open it is that I think it's the greatest startup menu in the history <laughs> of the earth. Because you come up, it's just simple. It's Mafia 3, start new game and options. And then... <laughs> that's the doorbell interrupting inter- uh, proceedings. But... Um, the yeah the, the start screen comes up it's just mafia start new game and options and what is playing in the background Jimi hendrix's version of all along the watchtower which is just the start if not the greatest opening to a video game ever probably the most expensive oh yeah that's because i'm gonna say like leading into this there is this is one of the most ludicrously expensive soundtracks i have ever heard in a video game and um it's a it's it's a situation where um, we wanted to stream this game but because the soundtrack is so fabulously decadent and expensive and I don't know when like because obviously a lot of the songs are on the radio in your car but some of them are in cutscenes and I don't want to start a stream knowing that half the stream is going to be muted because they don't want to pay for the broadcasting rights for said songs and you know what actually I noticed when I went back to check the RWWE stream that the entrance music had been cut out all of it yeah Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Are our voices cut out? No, no, no. It No, all the background noises, everything is there. It's literally just uh, Kevin Owen and Styles' themes were, were muted out. That's very interesting. I know, right? Oh, that's weird. Yeah, um, yeah so, like, there, there's different things in it. Like, I don't want to spoil too much, because the opening, like, the setup for this, like, it's... It, when you think Mafia, you think, oh, like, the Cosa Nostra, you think uh, Italian... Italian men in suits with Tommy guns uh, hanging off the side of uh, old-timey cars shooting up people in Chicago and hustling booze and things like that. But it, this Mafia game is set in 1968 after your character, Lincoln Clay, returns home from Vietnam. Um, and there definitely is the Costa Nostra vibe to it. There is, like, an Italian mob in your city of New Bordeaux, which is a rip on New Orleans, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um... So there are different kind of mobs in town. So there definitely still is that old school mafia vibe. But the game is essentially like a, just a revenge game, like a revenge story. Um, a thing happens to you in the first act that I'm not, again, I'm not going to spoil here because I do think it's a tremendous setup. Um, a thing happens to you and you are just, you are basically going to kill everybody until you are the only person left and it's not just to take over the town it's because you want to kill everybody <laughs> so it's pretty it's, it's pretty cool like that that it's just kind of pared down and simple i think the voice acting and motion capture in this game is phenomenal yeah um the, the cutscenes are, are really well thought out and I, I think like a lot of people say that the thing that holds the game back quite a bit is that whereas the the, the scripting and the the, the cutscenes and all that are fantastic the gameplay sometimes is a little bit repetitive, like because there are only a certain, they're kind of like with all these open world games, there are only a certain amount of different types of side tasks you're going to be doing. It's a common criticism I've been reading over the last couple of days about it. Yeah, but the thing about the thing about that to me is I never mind types of missions repeating themselves if I'm still enjoying it. You know what I mean, right? So say Watch Dogs, for example. Watch Dogs has a bunch of different types of side missions in it. Only one of them is actually fun, if you're honest with yourself. And that's the one where you're going in and you're hacking into different uh, like security cameras and you're setting off traps and killing everybody so that you can walk in uh, into this building without firing a shot, right? 
Those are the cool side missions. If those repeated themselves a lot in the game, I would have liked that game a lot more, but they don't. There's only about six of them, I think, maybe eight in the whole game. Whereas the ones that do repeat themselves a lot are a lot of tailing and escort missions, which are shit. People who like escort missions are the devil. They are, because it's awful. Which is going to be uh, kind of apropos when we talk yeah, about... Yeah, 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 but like... <laughs> that, that, book club like it's just, it's, it's terribly frustrating sometimes. But in Mafia 3 so far, there have been like types of things where like, oh, I'm going into another building to try and like, you know either kill a guy or interrogate a guy or make a guy join my side that does repeat quite a bit but i'm still having a whale of a time doing it about six seven hours into that game like you saw the like the glee i had going through the building and some of the it's horrifically violent as well like your stealth kills involved like your massive like bowie knife that you've obviously brought back from vietnam and just like jamming it through people's necks and shit um, violent but oddly satisfying yeah and you've got your um you've got interesting little twists in it on the the way like a gta type game would work where you think about it it's in 1968 so things aren't going to work quite the way they do in gta games so for example if someone sees you commit a crime um the police by the way the police are done very interestingly in this in that you're warned straight away that like the police when you're within their eye line so if you're driving past a police car or you drive past a policeman a little line will appear in your field of vision, a little blue line that lets you know you're being watched by uh, a police officer. And if you commit any sort of crime, or are perceived to commit any sort of crime when they're around, trouble. They're going to come after you. And they're hard to get away from in this. Like, it's a big kind of net they cast that you have to try and get out of. And it mm-hmm. does move as they're investigating. Um, the... The other thing is that the police respond at different times depending on where you commit a crime. So if you kill somebody in the rich people part of town, the police are on top of you like white on rice. Okay? But if you're in like the ghetto, the poor black neighborhoods, they're going to take a while to respond. Kind of apropos of American history at the time. And this links me into something else that I, I, I want to talk to. And it's one of our news stories this week as well. And it's kind of the the historical ties this game has and you get um you get this note that appears at the start of the game because if you think about it you're playing a black guy in the south in 1968 so you get this letter i'm just going to read it out here i have a um eurogamer did me the service of transcribing this in a news story so it says mafia 3 takes place in a fictionalized version of the american south in 1968 we sought to create an authentic and immersive experience that captures this very turbulent time and place, including depictions of racism. We find that racist beliefs, language, and behaviours of some characters in the game abhorrent, but believe it is vital to include these depictions in order to tell Lincoln Clay's story. Most importantly, we felt that to not include this very real and shameful part of our past would have been offensive to the millions who face and still face bigotry, discrimination, prejudice, and racism in all its forms. That's the letter from Hangar 13 that before the game even starts, once you hit new game, you get that letter yeah. to read. Um, and I do I do genuinely agree, but we shouldn't put limits or censorship on art and things like that, that I do think they're well within the rights to do this. And I do think they've tackled it in a very authentic way that I, playing through as um, a black protagonist, can feel the, the, the racial tension that's going on in the game. And it's is very interesting to me and I don't think it's played for laughs I don't think it's played for um kind of just melodrama it's played like pretty gritty and fairly 
realistic representation of what I would know of the Deep South around that time. On the flip side of that, have you shut up the KKK yet? Not yet. That, that is the thing. We, we talked about that last week on the show about how the racists were getting annoyed about it. Mm. Uh, I haven't, but I look forward to it. <laughs> um, I, I do think that... Kind of like... Because there would have been arguments long ago that movies shouldn't tackle this sort of thing. And I do think like... Video games are an equal, if not superior, art form in some ways, as it gives you a level of immersion that films can't. And that might be part of the sticking point. Well, yeah, is that it immerses you. And like this, these kind of arguments date back to all the way back to Mortal Kombat, and but more contemporarily, the the kind of things that it will remind you of in terms of like how you know it's if you if you decide to gun down that clan rally as some people have, I haven't gotten to that point. Like I said myself. It might remind you of the no Russian mission yeah, in, yeah. in Call of Duty, Call where of Duty, like yeah. it's it's kind of sobering to do things like that with your own hands when they're portrayed as uh, not as cartoony violence, but as fairly realistic stuff. But I, I, I think so far in the game, like I could be massively let down by the second half of this game, but so far it's handled all that stuff very well, and I will talk about another group that are sort of tied into this game later on but so far really enjoyed it's not quite like it's 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 not a life-changing experience it's not the kind of earth and genre shattering thing that like you know a new gta game would be like when gta 5 came out and just showed you like fuck open worlds can be this alive it's gonna be hard for an open world game to yeah hit like the scale but, of gta yeah. 5 but the thing is like not every game has to be no like saints not. row has carved out an incredible niche mm. of not being as good as gta but in some ways being better than gta because it doesn't for a single second take itself remotely seriously yeah <laughs> um and i think this mafia game is the same in some respects is that it's doing something completely different um it's not like it, it it's it's not like a GTA game. A lot of the mechanics are, but it is not. Well, the, the, the kind of... The one t- of the things as well, and the, I think one of the, the final notes I want to make as well, is even the way the cutscenes are done is absolutely fantastic. Like I said, the acting is great, but the way half the cutscenes are done, I don't know if you got to see this during our playthrough uh, when I just showed you when we were sitting on the couch one day, is that um, some of the cutscenes are done interviewing characters from the game... In the current day. Yeah, I didn't get to say this. This is... It's fucking brilliant. Like this... Like the game is a documentary. Mm. And it's talking like there's a priest character and you're, and you're seeing the priest young when you're talking about 1968. And then like at the end of like a significant part of the critical path, it will show you an interview with this guy, this priest years later where he's old and he's talking about Lincoln Clay back in 68. And, you know, you have the little thing at the bottom explaining who he is like it is a documentary or you're seeing archive footage of the CIA agent who's helping you at a Senate subcommittee hearing being investigated about why he was uh, in this entrenched in this situation and stuff like that. It's fucking like it's the little things like that that I think really, like I said, I'm not giving this a 10 out of 10 by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I think this is. This would be my Mad Max of this year, where I like I was just playing Mad Max a lot, even though it wasn't a life changer. I do think it's a bit better because yeah. I think the story in Mad Max is may as well not exist. The, the question I was going to ask you, we were just talking about the Grand Theft Auto series there, and <clears throat> the the motivation for the Grand Theft Auto games is primarily that you start at the bottom, you work your way to the top. Now we're here. Now we're here. 
what is the kind of flow so far? Is it along the lines of that, or is it just kind of like a revenge story sort of well, thing? Well, yeah, it's that you are slowly taking over the city, but not in a, I want to be the boss. Like the not a criminal kingpin mo- kind yeah, of way. Yeah, the, the earning money and sort of becoming a king- criminal kingpin on the way is part of it, because as you're killing people off and shutting down rackets around the city, you are taking them over and earning more and more money as you go on to get you more and more shit. But that's not the point of it. Mm. I've never felt that that's the point of it. The, the So far, the whole point of it is that almost like Kill Bill or something like that, I have the list of people who fucked me over and yeah. the people that work for them. And I'm shutting down the stuff not because I want to be the kingpin. I'm shutting down the stuff because I want to put a stranglehold on the man who put me in my current situation. Yeah, so that's that's like a, a, a as we talk about, like a niche there or a, a different take it's a on different the twist. open world criminal kind of genre. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I definitely would recommend it. Um, it's, again, it's not going to change your life. It's not, the, there's not... Um, there are a couple of cool mechanics like I said but the the whole police response thing is pretty cool the fact that uh, when someone just a random citizen spots you doing a crime and goes to report it to police instead of being able to pop out a cell phone because it's 1968 they have to run to the end of the block and get to a payphone, which gives you a chance to run up behind them and tackle them so they don't call the police um and the fact that if you want to like hack into someone's communications obviously you can't use a laptop or anything like that again it's 1968 so you wiretap uh, junction boxes on blocks so that you can see where all the stuff is on the block which I think is a, again a nice little cool way around that problem for 1968 uh, a game set in 1968 but yeah that's that's what we've been playing this week and I think it's time to head into some news news on the mark Mark, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, sort of an old news story, but it's something I want to mention very quickly, and that's the PS4 firmware update. I think it was when it was 4.0, the one that added the the folders and the like that we talked about a few weeks ago on the show. Yep. Uh, I've noticed something in the last couple of weeks because we're getting into Q3, Q4 now, so some of my pre-orders that I made months ago are starting to preload now. And something I've noticed, um, people talk about... Um, you know, we often see news stories, Eurogamer, IGN, everywhere else, talking about day one patch sizes and file sizes and things like that. And I want to give a little bit of credit to something Sony have done. And that is, when you're downloading a game, so say, for example, uh, I digitally pre-ordered WWE 2K17, okay? Um, when that started download this week, now, traditionally, what would happen is the game would start preloading 48 hours before release, and maybe the day before release, or sometimes at the same time that the preload started, a separate file with the 1.01 patch would start downloading. Now, the thing about patches is that, by and large, uh, substantial patches anyway, which some of the day one patches are will replace like a significant amount of broken shit in a game so it's deleting file extensions and stuff that are already downloaded as part of the package and replacing them with something else so you're essentially downloading the same sorts of extensions twice which can be quite frustrating what is happening now with the preloading is that the patch is coming bundled in as part of your preload right so I noticed that when people were getting the physical copy of WWE 2K17, they were installing it and there was a 1.01 patch that started uploading. When I preloaded it, 
it was one complete package that was roughly the size of just the basic game with the stuff fixed in it and the patch was included in it and i think one of the things we always talk about in this show one of the things that's kind of one of the last remaining obstacles for people embracing an all digital games future is that fact with bandwidth and you can't really be downloading too many games with bandwidth issues and i I don't know i want to get your thoughts on this as well mark but i think this is a nice way to start kind of mitigating some of that by having the patch come in as part of the whole application data and maybe cut down a little bit on how much people are downloading like it's not a major thing sometimes but maybe sometimes it will be i mean yeah sure it's it's uh, a resolution to a problem that shouldn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't have to have day one patches for everything. No, but... But it's... essentially, I suppose, we don't now with digital ones. No, because I, I... It's, if it's part of the base game that downloading, you can hardly call it a patch. No. But it's, and it's almost at the same time punishing the people that have the game physically mm-hmm. because they still have to download the patch. Yeah. Although they don't have to download the whole game, then they're still downloading less overall. So it's, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, as I said, it's uh, an issue that shouldn't exist, but for what does exist, it's a, a very clever idea by Sony and... Uh, it, it's good I mean I don't know yeah. what I can really add to it other than it's a good thing it exists well done Sony bravo yeah like, I haven't clap. pre-ordered digitally anything on Xbox in a long time so I'll keep an eye out to see if Xbox do something similar when was the last firmware update for Xbox uh, I don't turn on my Xbox as much so I don't uh, like I know there was one just when I downloaded it to start installing Gears of War okay Um, but I don't know because I hadn't turned it on in a couple of weeks so it's like it would be within the last month or so there's been an upgrade hmm. of or update of some description uh anyway moving on from that because that was just a, a short piece uh resident evil 4 5 and 6 were all recently remastered i did not know this yeah i had no fucking like, idea <laughs> i wouldn't say remastered as much as like remastered implies they came out on the ps4 they came out on the ps4 with a little bit of a sheen on them and that sheen uh has had mixed results as we talk about uh check out our shocktober playthrough of resident evil 4 which yeah. we'll be talking about later in the show uh over on youtube where uh, some textures had a bit of a mare uh, particularly some leaves at the very start of the game. They were a little bit wire meshy. So Resident Evil 4, which is, as we'll talk about later, kind of widely considered to be the last good Resident Evil game. Uh, 5, which is, has its fans, uh, also it has also, its detractors. I was going to say, it has its moments. Yeah. And Resident Evil 6, which I think is almost universally agreed as garbage. Is a hot mess. Um, so all of them were re-released relatively recently. Oh, actually, no, sorry. My apologies. They've been staggered. So Resident Evil 6's one came out in March. Yeah, they didn't all come out at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they've, they've all come out this year. Five in June, and I knew four came out the most recent mm. um, in August. Um, the, the the reason we're bringing this up is because collectively they've shipped 1.5 million copies. Now, it should be important to note that this figure that has been shipped to, is to retailers and not sold directly to consumers. Yeah, so that doesn't count digital, which I imagine a lot of them would have been digital because they're the... Uh, well, it doesn't involve... Uh, uh, it's not actual sales, it's the no, amount of them that was shipped, yeah. Still, that's insane. Yeah. Um, for... Well, I mean, it would be interesting to get the breakdown of the three games in general, because um, I would imagine that Resident <laughs> My 4... guess is they put the three of these together in the sales figures or the shipping figures because they didn't want to give the separate ones. Yeah, well, this is true. But I imagine, I'd hope to think that 4 was the one that got the kind of biggest kick, because, uh, you know... You would imagine. Also, like, if for nothing else, then it was the one like that a lot of people may not have played. You know I mean, because the whole new generation of gamers have come along since that came out. I... 
guess. I mean, five and six were last generation, it, weren't they? Resident Evil uh, was on the Wii and they come out on the PS3 as well. Eventually, but it yeah, would they, be an they, early cycle. Yeah, but no, the PS4, it was remade, or well, not remade, but it did come out on the PS3 as a, mm. as a digital release. So it's it's been there. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it says something when you get to the point that you don't know how many remasters of a game there exist, because we're up to like two separate remasters of the original Resident Evil now. Yeah, the, there's a remake of Resident Evil, and then there's the, the GameCube remake and the remake of the GameCube remake that's yeah, on the PS4. Yeah, and obviously the, the lines are kind of blurred of what exactly is a remake, a remaster, a reimagining, etc., etc. Yeah. And but so Capcom, on. like, it, it, one thing I will say about Capcom, who have gotten into this cycle of re-releasing games, is that they were really out on Front Street about that. That, like, at some point last year, or maybe the year before, they released a, a statement basically going, yeah, we're not very much interested anymore in creating new games as much as we're created in reissuing old IP. Which is why you see things like when Street Fighter V came out that they did a co-finance deal with Sony because I don't think they were arsed enough to put that much money into Street Fighter V themselves. And clearly weren't arsed enough to actually finish the fucking thing Wait, in time for its here release. He is, here he is. <laughs> I will say this, though. It looks like it might work into their favour because... It's getting people back into the Resident Evil cycle, and certainly with the footage and what we know about Resident Evil Seven so far, uh, I think Seven is gonna it's probably gonna be quite like I it's still it's got it's still business. got name value. Yeah, people still bought Resident Evil Six in spite of everything. Well, yeah, people, um, people are stupid, <laughs> and there is still another a final Resident Evil movie to come as well. Yeah, indeed. Oh, Wes Anderson, what are you doing? No, is it not Wes Anderson? No, this. <laughs> that I would pay to see. I'll tell you what. Um, Resident Evil under the sea with some fabric uh, submarines. Steam is to start supporting PS4 controllers natively on PC, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I with my PC, I usually use an Xbox One controller because it makes the most sense, really. But it's nice moment. to have the option. Yeah, it's nice to like for the people who aren't console agnostic like myself to I... not have to buy an Xbox controller to play on their PC anymore. Now this is on PC. I I use my Mac. For, for Steam, so yeah. it would be nice to like. There are, it's very selective. Like um, Stardew Valley, <laughs> you kind of get left at the at the altar a lot. Yeah, like Mac. so. So Stardew Valley works fine with my PS4 controller. Yeah. Uh, Thomas was alone works on my PS4 controller. After that, it's kind of some do, some don't. I mean, there are ways to get around it to 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 bypass all of that, but it it's kind of temperamental like the other week you saw me trying to get hotline miami working and we didn't even bother doing the stream because ah. uh you just it was a mess so yeah i mean again it's kind of just one of those things that like is to, to mention it it's good it just mm. should be there and i'm glad it's there yeah uh now mark we're living in a golden age where a lot of old games are coming back we saw at e3 this year quake is coming back uh, Red Dead Redemption was re-released as backwards compatible on Xbox One. Rumblings as well that it's going to be uh, made a PS3 classic on uh, PS4 at some stage. We got Skyrim coming back out. People are getting reissues of old games they really like. And I know, Mark, I know there was one right up at that top of that list that you've been waiting for all this time. And finally, the word, the magic word tripped out this week. Turok 2. Apparently, this actually had already <laughs> been announced to be remade <laughs> this is the weirdest story so a revived and reworked Turok 2 is coming remind just very very briefly Mark in a couple of sentences for those who weren't around during the, the N64 heyday what is Turok? Turok is a sh first person shoot 'em up 
that is uh, basically it's Dinosaur Hunter with a lot of fog, although they kind of nix that by the time the second one come along. But I will say this, the Torah games are pretty good for that generation. Nintendo Official Magazine raved about the Turok games. They have aged horrifically. I'm just looking at some screenshots here as we're talking about it. Like, I, at some point, if we do get an N64 USB adapter, we will download the original Turok. I wouldn't like that at all. (laughs) You know, it takes on Silent Hill for the amount of fog that it uses to uh, bypass not being able to generate too much at one time. Uh, Hey, look. I know some people out there that are big Turok fans. I actually think Turok 2 is a pretty good game. Um, so, mm. sure, go for it. So, yeah, basically, not? it had been announced, and then there was then massive radio, radio silence. silence for ages, and then just a post popped up on Turok's Steam page saying, Turok 2 is coming! <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? strange. I will probably play it. Yeah. And people like it as well because it had multiplayer. Yeah. You know, so, like, the version of that on Steam would be interesting, sure, I suppose. Sure, go for it. Um... Bit of sad news here, although depending on how you feel about it, maybe a bit, bit of hopeful news. Uh, in some respects, Cuphead, a game we've very much been looking forward to, has been delayed into next year. Delayed for a year. Not delayed into like a nebulous time in 2017. Mid next like year. it could be out uh, in January. No, no. They said a year. Yeah. Um, so this is a game we've very much been looking forward to. And I think between the two of us, we've kind of had both sides. Of whenever we hear a game is delayed, there's two reactions. There's one that's incredibly disappointing. And two, well, I'd rather rather wait for a functioning game rather than have a broken one now. Mm. Um, what did you think when you heard this? Pretty much the same? or I, I don't think it's a case of parts of it being broken. Like, a lot of the feedback that um, journalists and the like were saying is that it felt like it was just kind of lacking in content. You know, what was there looks incredible. Mm. The, the the animation what you know what's going on it had substance but not oh, depth man exactly and so i think it's just a case of them going okay look we're onto something here let's style just style and not depth should i say yeah let's you know let's get a kind of fully fleshed out game out of this mm. and it kind of works fine for me because i don't have an xbox one yet and i might have one by the time the cuphead comes out next year so mm. you know what it, this is perfect news for me uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider came out this week on PS4 and I would urge anyone with a PS4 who didn't have an Xbox One and get it last year to get it genuinely one of the best games of last year um, and I think if it had come out a bit earlier I would have fought for it a lot harder in the game of the year stakes uh, on our show but anyway uh, it came out on the 11th of October and uh, Sony has marked the occasion because this is also part of the 20th anniversary celebrations of the first Tomb Raider by God are we old mm-hmm uh, but Sony had a unique way of celebrating this by releasing an image of a version of Rise of the Tomb Raider done up in PS1 box art. It's so pretty. The gutting thing about this is that it is not available to consumers. I tell you what, right? I would have. Pa- I would. Literally, I own it on Xbox One and would have paid for it on PS4 I, in that box. I tell you what, if they start releasing games in the old PS1 boxes. They'll it's triple, done. The, triple it's their sales. <laughs> it's all over. The, the, this war will be over. Uh, yeah, no, I like uh, a, a bunch of people, or journalists I follow, like kind of going, is, is this like a press release? Can I get my hands on this? And people are like, no, no, you cannot. Uh, oh man, it's so good to look at. And it has a manual and everything. What game has a manual in 2016 I that know, you can actually man. put your hands on? Um, from this week when it came out until... Um, 
uh, until the people have until October 18 to log into any version of the game that's PC, PS4, Xbox One, um, or Xbox 360 even, uh, and you get 100,000 free in-game credits uh, for buying your your upgrades for Lara's weapons and shit like that. So cool. If that's your kind of bag, do sure, that. Again, whatever. genuinely one of the best games I played all of last year. So if you're thinking about it, I strongly encourage you to get Rise of the Tomb Raider. Moving swiftly onwards, is Mafia 3 in league with the IRA? So we've already mentioned this a little bit, but go on again. Tell me yeah, another uh, more group about this. that. Like, so the racists were mad last week. Yeah, they were. Um, that the KKK were depicted as being shot to bits in Mafia 3. Now, that seems to have calmed down over the last couple of days. I haven't really heard more about that. Well, it's almost like the racists are busy putting out a fire with the candidate they've chosen for president. Oh, yeah. Oh, hot takes. <laughs> anyway, uh, another group that are depicted uh, as part of Mafia 3 is the IRA. So there's a kind of, there's, there's an Irish Republican sort of faction present that you're sort of working with in mafia 3 now let's be f- just just to clear this up here mm-hmm. this is more your area than mine yeah so i'm just going to read out here and it's unionists in specific and not republicans that are upset by this so it's not the people who would be more sympathetic towards the ira it would be people more sympathetic towards the union the, the united kingdom yeah so unionists are upset over a number of aspects in the open world gangster game. There's a dialogue in the main story about Irish Republican politics, but they're particularly angry about a mission where in which players steal cars to be used by bombers in Belfast. The mission in question is actually a side mission called IRA Don't Ask, a character in the game called Thomas Burke, who you met when we were, I was showing you as the mustachioed guy with the Belfast mm-hmm. accent, um, has to deliver three cars to his IRA connections and charges player Lincoln Clay with stealing them for him. During a cutscene, Burke suggests the cars will be used as part of a bombing campaign by Belfast heavyweights. Burke tells Lincoln his IRA connections are after serial numbers and parts to throw in to keep Belfast law guessing when things go boom. You can watch the mission in full in the video below. This is on Eurogamer. Um, look, I, I've thought about this... And there have been people like Democrat, uh, Democratic Unionist Party MP Jeffrey Donaldson has called on 2K to withdraw the game from sale, telling the Irish News that he was very concerned about the impact it could have on impressionable minds. My thing is about this. Um, I know this is one of the first time the, the reason this has kicked off any sort of controversy here in the UK is because this is one of the first times this has really happened for like the... The Troubles, the Troubles is not something that has been depicted a lot in video games. And you're are going... Are any examples? I, not that I can think of offhand. There are definitely, like... like I think G, GTA 4 has allusions towards Irish, Irish Republicanism, right? Mm-hmm. And other games have nods and winks and stuff like that, but never go so far as to have a mission where you're aiding and abetting. Now... What I will say is that if you think about American history during the Troubles, there were an uh, an awful lot of Irish expatriates, like a couple of generations removed, who lived in America, who were helping send money, resources back to fight fight off the the Brits, right? Yeah. So that is again, this comes par- back to what we were saying about the the whole KKK thing and depictions of racial violence and things like that. That it is part of a faithful representation of what was going on in America at the time. 
I come down on the side of, and bear in mind that I am not someone like, you know, I'm, I'm quite young, but I was still alive for the last 10 years or so of the Troubles. So it's not like I'm someone who has no relation or experience at all with what happened up north. I remember things like Oman, things like that, horrible, horrible human tragedies that happened. Oh, that was the first I ever heard about yeah. the, the Troubles was Omar. Yeah, but this, this is the thing is that I don't have a problem with it because I can separate historical fiction and historical reality and not get all bent up about it. You know what I mean? I don't get my feelings hurt about it. You can't just act like it. These, this kind of thing, this history never happened, right? You can't just gloss over it. It is an insult to history. It's an insult to like the horrible things that happened if we don't try and talk about it or interact with it in some way through our art. Now, I will say this. I will play Devil's Advocate to a degree. Yep. Fire away. It's hard to get all didactic about this. Like, I appreciate the back and forth. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, yes, you are Irish. In some way, you were affected one way or another by mm-hmm. the Troubles. But there were those that were actually affected, you yep. know, in terms of had yep. family members killed, murdered, whatever. So, don't play the game. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, and in... they're not two K aren't knocking on your door, putting Mafia Three in your hands. No, and this goes for anything, whether it's it's the IRA or the KKK or or Nazi Art doesn't Germany, have a whatever. responsibility to make sure it doesn't offend people. No, no. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, no. Th- those people are going to you could say have a legitimate gripe to be upset they, that it does there exist. There is nothing wrong with being offended by it, but there is something wrong with trying to censor something because you don't like it. Yeah, I mean, to be, I was going to make a, a joke there about certain people, but they're the ones that don't quite understand how censorship works. But, eh, yeah, moving on. No, no, but, like, I, just to, to stay on this for a second, like, it's, um, I can't remember what I was going to say here. It's, it's, it's thing where, like, I'm not necessarily saying that I, I'm going to take joy from, like, oh, yeah, it's deadly that we're helping out the Ra and stuff like that. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. Do not mistake my words here as being something other than I intend what i am i'm kind of saying is we have i i understand there's there's more of an outrage over this because like i said it's something that we're not used to because it's not something that has been touched on heavily in games before there have been world war ii games world war one games for so, not, not as many world war one world war ii games there have been games about like modern and historical horrible events for as long as there have been video games nearly and if you're going to say that this is the this is the line, then all those other games are past the line as well. Uh, look, this is the thing. Whatever game comes along that depicts a certain point in history, there is going to be a group of people that will always have an outcry and an outrage about yeah. it. It's going to happen. It's just the way humans are. And, yeah, well, look, like, and the, there the is thing... a portion of those people that, again, have a legitimate gripe, and then there's a portion of those that are just either fiercely loyal but blind there's going to be like for example there's going to always be like an upset purport like portion of the american population whenever like particularly closer to the time it happened whenever a movie comes out that really talks about the horrors of what went on in vietnam Mm. for example where like a lot of uh incidences in that war my lie is one that, that comes to mind very easily um of really just 
dark and terrible shit like the the real dark side of war that that came out in those conflicts so there's always gonna be people upset by that but that is the thing like touching history and and warfare is always going to strike a nerve but that's the point but yeah it is it is also the point of art to resist censorship to these things because it is damaging for people to just act like this never happened and not deal with it in any way and art is one of the main ways we deal with these things well let's use the biggest example you possibly can the holocaust yeah um, as no, I'm not going for Holocaust Simulator 2K16 no, by any stretch no. of the imagination. But there have been games that, in the narrative, have well, dealt with. Well, not even just games, but films, or whatever. Because yeah. the fact is, the people that were around during that time, or even if you want to go further back to World War One, the, those people that exist. The classic internet thing that within six links you're getting back you're to arguing about Hitler. Yeah. Um, the simple fact is, those people that were around to tell their stories those people are sadly but they're, you know the passage of time those people are dying out yeah we they're ha- not going to be jazzed about watching schindler's list or the world at war or anything no, like but that. my point is you, you we have to educate people because you know if you don't educate you are doomed to re- the, repeat yeah. failures of before yeah uh, or whatever the expression is that i just completely butchered there and those who don't learn from history are doomed uh, to repeat it. yes there we go um, and the simple fact is, there are a lot of stupid people out there that are Holocaust deniers, uh, uh, conspiracy theorists, etc., etc. So you have to represent as faithfully as you can. And all right, fair enough. There are certain uh, passages of time that have not been represented in the kind of truest sense of what happened at that time. But there are those pieces of art, whether it's film, paintings, books, whatever, that do represent, mm. you know, what happened, and they have to exist to kind of just continue on the memory that this shit happened and yeah. it's a bad thing and we should not let it happen again. Um, and But I think that there are those that, again, are perfectly within their right to be angry that these things are being depicted that aren't seeing that bigger picture. They're just thinking on from their own kind of personal front. And why should they mm-hmm. give a fuck about anyone else? You know, yeah. it's... You can see both sides of the, the argument here, but... Again, like this stuff is always really boils made. boils down to if you if you don't like it and it offends you as with any other piece of art, just don't consume it. Well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's 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 the the ultimate takeaway. It it doesn't have to be barred from existing just because you don't like it. Hmm. A real change of pace here. <laughs> That'll almost give me whiplash. Pokemon Sun and Moon uh, are going to be ditching traditional gyms in favor of a system referred to as trials, which are going to be more like kind of extended RPG quests, bit of puzzling going on. Um, tell us a bit more about this, Mark, because you you came across this story before I did. Yeah, so uh, one of my favorite journalists out there, Mark Brown, I've mentioned him a number of times now. Does the Toolmakers uh, Game Kit series very very good? Go and check it out. Uh, he got to play a few hours of Pokemon. He went to uh, some. Journalist, uh, there was a preview event going on. There was a preview event in London, yeah. And yeah, so basically, if you think about if you've played the Pokemon games up to this point over the years with each new installment, the gyms, not the actual battle with the the gym leader, but the actual gyms themselves have taken on more puzzle elements, uh, have been like, uh, you know, trickier to kind of navigate with more environmental traps, that sort of stuff. It kind of sounds like they're taking that, but enhancing it to the next degree you know putting them on steroids and i guess you know that they're really trying to mix up the gameplay a little bit because hey 
we've been playing Pokemon games for a long time, and even we, and we're hardened Pokemon fans, even we can't defend the idea that the Pokemon games have uh, kind of differed up the gameplay over the years. You know, they've added features, but the general idea is you start, you pick one of three star Pokemon that always a fire, grass, or water, you beat eight gym leaders, and then you take on the Elite Four. And at some point, there's this team, whether they're uh, team Skull in this team case. Team Skull, Team Aqua, Team Flame trying to take over the world, destroy it, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, you can see that the Pokemon Company are trying to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, it is definitely one of the, the historic criticisms that, like, even though, like, they, they tend to get a facelift, the, the mechanics and the narrative are broadly the same all the time. To a certain degree, if yeah. it is not broke, why fix it? Yeah. But, I mean... I'm try some shit. Try some shit. Yeah. And by the looks of it, you know they're really throwing a lot of stuff at this game, a lot more than any Pokemon game before yeah. it. And there's nothing stopping. Like, who knows? For all we know, at this stage, it could end up being like a Pokemon Silver situation, where as soon as we beat the the trial system here, there's another map that have eight standard gyms. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which I think was like my favorite thing in Pokemon Silver. Was like, what? There's more. Yeah. Um, the final story for this week and kind of just a little quick one we talked about Beyond Good and Evil I think that was our, our final story last week about how Beyond Good and Evil is sort of finally on the way the sequel to it um, well now in kind of a bid to start the hype train going for the next month Beyond Good and Evil the original is free on PC using uh, if you have a f- what is a free membership to Club Ubisoft, which is their kind of little, um, you know, like all these developers have a different sign-in kind of, you know, 2K and Square Enix all have their thing. We earn points through playing their games to unlock things in the different games. But if you sign up for a free Club Ubisoft account, you get a free download for Beyond Good and Evil. Woo! That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it's very yeah. cool. I'm, I'm... Would you be tempted? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... All of those EA Access, uh, the Ubisoft one, I have no interest in signing up to any of them because um, it just it's another account that I, don't oh, I sign up and then block from me. <laughs> yeah, I, I just it's... I sign up so they won't constantly try and make me sign up, and then I just block them on my email filters. Yeah, and like I, I'm not sure if there's been any have games. A happy life then. I'm not sure if there's any games that I've played where they have an email address that's specifically for that shit. Mm, if they've tried to sign me up that I have to play the game with the account. I can't think of any off the top of There are some that, to use online functionality, they will make you. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I went, well, fuck you. Mm-hmm. So, um, even Rayman, even Rayman couldn't get me to sign up to Ubisoft. And I'm a big fan of Rayman. Well, that's going to do it for the news this week. So, uh, without further ado, we're going to go into our book club. As part of Shocktober, which is our feature where all month, every week, we're going to be talking about some spooky games. Uh... Last week, we kicked off with The Last of Us, which was kind of sort of spooky, sort of classic game. And now we're going to move on into um, a game that is definitely higher up on the, the heebie-jeebie scale. Uh, and that is Resident Evil 4 with our special guest, Chaz Ali. Resident Evil 4, known in Japan as Biohazard 4, 
is a survival horror video game developed and published by Capcom, the sixth major installment in the Resident Evil series. The game was originally released for the GameCube in North America and Japan in January 2005, and in Europe and Australia in March 2005. The story of Resident Evil 4 follows the US government special agent Leon S. Kennedy, who is sent on a mission to rescue Ashley Graham, the US president's daughter, who has been kidnapped by a sinister cult. Travelling to a rural area of Spain, Leon fights hordes of violent villagers and mutated monsters, and reunites with the mysterious spire Ada Wong. First hinted at uh, December in December 1999, Resident Evil 4 underwent a long development time during which four proposed versions of the game were discarded. It was initially developed for the PlayStation 2. The first attempt was directed by Hideki Kamiya after producer Shinji Mikami requested him to create a new entry in the Resident Evil series. But nevertheless, it was decided to start development over again. Uh, the game was intended to be a GameCube exclusive as part of the Capcom 5, but a PlayStation 2 version was announced before the game was released for the GameCube. Resident Evil 4 was subsequently released for Win uh, Microsoft Windows, Wii, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and in downsized versions for the iOS, Zeebo, and Android, exclusive to Samsung, Samsung outside of Japan. We got there in the end. Boys, uh, first of all, uh, we should uh, introduce for this portion of the show and this particular book club feature, uh, my good friend and also uh, junior or just gameplay programmer at Bossa Studios, Chaz Ali. Chaz, how the hell are you? Hello. I'm good. I'm good. I've got a bit of a cold, but you can't really hear, hopefully you can't hear it. But no, you good. should be fine. It's, uh, it's been a while since we've spoken through the medium of podcast. Yeah, or just voice in or general. Or just in general. Really. It would be January <laughs> last time I spoke to you. Yeah. How have you been? I've not been too bad. Uh, Dave is obviously still here as well. Hello, Dave. Yeah, there's a creeping feeling that kind of by the, by the time, like maybe my children's generation is around, podcasting will be the primary form of communication between people, <laughs> verbally speaking anyway. It just feels like it's going that way. People be, people be meeting up in VR chat rooms or not. <laughs> Um, so before we do, uh, the, the bio of, of Chaz, um, although I guess we can come back to that another time, tell me about, we're going to start with you, tell me about your experience, your history with Resident Evil 4. Um, I imported a GameCube from, uh, America when it came out, and so I just, I bought all the good games before they came out before everyone else because it was a point of pride for me, and so I got Resident Evil 4 basically on release day. Having played Resident Evil 2 before on the N64, the best version, obviously, um, and didn't really know what to expect, and uh, yeah, was blown away by it, basically. And yeah, I love it. It's great. And I've played through it a lot. And uh, yeah. Had you spent time with the original trilogy and Code Veronica and all the other kind of uh, Resident Evil games before that? Not hugely. I played through uh, most of one and all of two. But I hadn't played three up to this point, so yeah, I was a bit, a little bit out of the loop. But I was like, "Oh, it's Leon again! Yeah, cool." Jumped on it. Yeah. Uh, and Dave, what about you? What What was your kind of entry point Resident Evil and your experience with Resident Evil Four? Uh, well, we kind of talked about this when we did a stream that will be going up uh, on the YouTube channel of Resident Evil Four earlier on today, and um, I kind of. Me and horror games can go back to around the time I had a PS2. Now, I didn't have a PS1, um, so I kind of missed out when all my other friends at PlayStations were playing the first couple of Resident Evil games. I, I kind of missed out on that. But um, when I got to the PS2, I started kind of 
delving into horror games and my first one was Silent Hill 2 so I've kind of always leaned more towards the, the, the psychological horror rather than kind of what is more kind of combat oriented zombie horror that you get in the Resident Evil series I've always had like a deep abiding respect for the series and enjoyed them sometimes enjoyed them primarily because of like the shall we say dicey voice acting in the first couple of Resident <laughs> Evil games there's there's definitely always been a sort of um, cringe value to them that I, I've enjoyed quite a bit but uh, it's not one of the kind of the, the series from my childhood that you know anytime I see that there's a new one coming out I, it piques my interest but I, I do definitely have a like I said a deep and abiding respect for the series yeah and I mean before we um really dive into Resident Evil 4, I guess we should kind of talk about a, a little bit about the history of the series, because uh, we've done a couple of games um, in our book club features with the likes of Tekken, for example, where we've kind of looked over like all three of the original trilogy, because you've played one of the Tekken games, you've kind of played most of them, but with Resident Evil, uh, I mean, at definitely at some point, we're probably going to come back and do a book club, book club feature on the original, because the, the, the drastic change that was made between the original trilogy and by the time we got to Resident Evil 4 was pretty drastic and I mean the original Resident Evil released back in 1996 um, in some ways if not originated certainly or innovated certainly um, kind of brought to the mainstream that survival horror genre of video games mm. and um, obviously a lot of the comparisons that you always get is with that and Silent Hill and I've always kind of maintained that, you know, they're going for two different kind of styles and then it's really just yeah, a sort of yeah. subjective opinion about which one you prefer from that. Yeah, they're, they're all kind of under the horror umbrella, that's for sure. And both as well, you could kind of even narrow it down further and say both of them are aiming for different kinds of like cinematic horror because I think both of them very much in different ways have homages to uh, like Romero's stuff, particularly with Resident Evil and kind of other different films and weirdly Kindergarten Cop with Silent Hill <laughs> um, in some of the, the, the mm. maps. Yeah, uh, I remember that. And definitely a lot of literature references in that. So both of them are kind of like homages to the genre and kind of great... Um, it kind of they're great looks at uh, early attempts that those early Silent Hill and Resident Evil games to make a game cinematic before we really had that as the kind of the just the the done thing within video games uh, but they are certainly there is certainly a delineation as well they are they, they feel and play very differently both of them yeah and I think this is uh, one of the sticking points still for a lot of people that prefer the original Resident Evil over Resident Evil 4 is the fact that the first was the kind of benchmark of that uh, as you said sort of George A. Romero slow paced zombie type uh, kind of cinematic experience within video games where Resident Evil 4 came along and was a little bit more action orientated um, Again, it's it's purely a, a kind of preferential thing about what you prefer there. But I mean, how do you feel between the two of you? Um, the the kind of change they made to Resident Evil Four was it sort of necessary by this point? Had the the style of gameplay kind of tied itself out? Um, and do you think that it is a, a kind of improvement on the experience, or was it just so completely different that you have to kind of treat them as two entirely separate games and almost separate kind of franchises, even though they kind of retain some of the same elements and themes and characters? Well, I think um, Resident Evil 4 definitely loses some of the cinematicness, I think, because mostly because it loses fixed camera angles, which is was made Resident Evil 1 to 3 really strong uh, in how it 
how it played with fear and also there's that sort of cinematic control directorial control about what you actually see and how things play out but resident evil 4 just controls so much better <laughs> um but it still had enough of that sort of limitation to the control to keep the horror thing going like you couldn't see behind you you can strafe which always seemed weird but it kind of added to it um to keep it a bit scary but um yeah i don't know i, I always preferred four and i still do but i think that the later games took that style a little too far in their action way <laughs> um yeah. and I lost think... a lot of the charm yeah i think that was something we touched on during our playthrough as well that like i think by the time you got to developing resident evil 4 there was there was a bit of staleness creeping in with the way the franchise had played to that point so it was it was great that they went with a more action-oriented uh kind of configuration going into resident evil 4 but at the same time like you said yourself they they kind of uh, it went too far and once you kind of have resident evil 4 come out things drop off a cliff fairly rapidly after that so it's great that they change things for resident evil 4 but i think uh given the legacy those changes would then have when they were taken up to 11 um it kind of would uh, kneecap the franchise a little in future games yeah and like mentioning uh, some stuff there about the the controls and having gone back and we played it a little bit earlier and i haven't touched resident Evil four in it for in a long long time and i was getting frustrated with the controls because i couldn't do stuff like strafing and the the right analog stick was just a, a mess in terms of trying to look around <laughs> with it and like when you um stop to aim at something you can't move you're stuck in that position and the whole point of it and what retain some of that survival horrorness is the idea of reducing the amount of things that the player can do and limiting him and that is kind of the point of survival horror is to not empower the player but to take that power away that's what makes survival yeah. horror so effective yeah it's like not, the... sorry not, go on uh, not not to harp back onto the, the Silent Hill comparison, but like Silent Hill 2 is considered one of, if not the greatest survival horror game of all time by a lot of people. And that game controls like fucking garbage, <laughs> you know, but like sometimes a kind of clunky control system, even if it isn't done by design, a clunky control system can really help with the, the tension and the fear of when you're under attack that, you know, you can't respond with the uh, the kind of precision you'd like. And that certainly is the case in Resident Evil 4. Now, at the time, a decade or so ago, it wouldn't have seemed as kind of janky and as difficult to control maybe as it does now. We kind of, looking back on it from 2016, we, we have a different perspective on it than if, you know, than when it came out at the time, if you understand me. Yeah, and I think the Wii version um, is quite a divisive version because it doesn't have that... Uh... But it still has the, the movement control still is, is sort of janky, should we say, and limited. But the aiming, you can just like really quickly point and shoot someone in the head, like as long as you can see them with the with the Wiimote pointing controls. And it does make the game a hell of a lot easier. And it feels much more like a like an action game than the original or a, a, a gamepad based version of, of Resident Evil 4 does. And I still really enjoy the Wii version, but I do think it's a very different game just because of that aiming change. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few games uh, like from the the Wii that sort of had that, like the the, the difficulty, um, like even in uh, Twilight Princess, is a lot easier just because again, like with aiming with the crossbow and stuff like that, it's uh, the the bow, sorry, is is a lot easier to to do that kind of stuff. Um, I never touched the, the Wii version, but yeah, I can presume that um literally just kind of being lifted lift up and, and fire at will because trying to do headshots, trying to do the headshots earlier was 
kind of difficult like i was wasting a good four or five rounds on any given uh enemy because i could just lining up was was impossible to do and again it's kind of uh, prefer preferential thing whether you want that or not but it does add tension to the game that it's not just the the, the lineup the site doesn't directly go to uh, an enemy's head you know you really kind of have to take your time with it and the kind of menacing sort of um, lurch forward of the enemies as they approach towards you while you're trying to aim at them and I think um what it does retain from the original Resident Evil games is the idea that you kind of run 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 find a corner turn around and try and pick enemies off as they kind of slowly kind of come towards you. Obviously, with um, Resident Evil 4, the enemies are a little bit faster and you don't have as much time to kind of pick opponents or enemies off. Yeah, and they throw stuff at you and throw grenades at you, and some of them have miniguns. <laughs> does get a bit ridiculous, but... Um, but yeah, shooting stuff out of the sky was always fun. Yeah, <laughs> the Resident Evil original Resident Evil games didn't have so that was an extra little touch. But that's the actiony side of it, so showing through again. So yeah, and what do you feel about um, the the setting, the the location, uh, the the attempts they took to kind of change the series in a lot of ways, um, and changing you know we're not using the T virus, the G virus now we have uh, this uh, kind of virus or. or um, parasite that's been implemented into people like how uh how effective do you think that was in kind of retaining that sort of sense of horror uh, and just taking the the series in a different direction well really like the, the early area is really sort of nice well, i say nice it was horrible but um <laughs> uh it's like really sort of grim so the colors are all brown and wishy-washy and horrible that's it was partly a technology but whatever um yeah i mean a lot of games look like that at the time. people just walking at you and you can't understand the word they're saying unless you understand their broken form of spanish and uh it feels very sort of horror movie sort of thing on and then you get to the castle and the game just goes a bit weird um and then you get to the stuff at the end of it and it's all on proper resident evil again with all resident evil endgame with the labs and the technology and weirdness um, so it doesn't get too far away from Resident Evil when it goes to that stuff. But yeah, the early part of it is, is really, really good and a really nice sort of, uh, change from, I guess, the American City stuff that was in the original three. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting challenge when you're making a game like that and you've already got three well-known games in a franchise that when players pick up a game with Resident Evil 4 on the front there are certain things and certain tropes they're going to expect the game to live into so you can't really with Resident Evil 4 uh, you can't break away too clean from the things that people really enjoy about the franchise like you said the, the labs and things like that the the proper Resident Evil feel and the tropes so it is kind of an interesting uh, division between they they really want to break away, they really want to try something new, but they know there is a certain amount of, not necessarily fan service, but things like this is a Resident Evil game, certain things are expected of us, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, now, I guess whether you want to call it fan service or not, uh, there are some things that uh, they retained from the, the original Resident Evil games. Uh, one, the scripting is shit. Um, it's amazing. No. <laughs> it, so in the original, original version of Resident Evil 1, as we will call it, which I know annoys Chaz when I say 1 in front no, of the game. That's fine. Carry Yes, it's very campy, and I, I don't even know whether to call it by design or not, but it does add a certain element of charm, and um, it does feel like in the kind of remake of the original Resident Evil that taking away some of those lines 
kind of takes away something that makes you know the game what it is. Resident Evil Four sort of B movie, B movie charm to it. Absolutely, sort of... yeah. And certainly, Funny, like in, yeah, and in like the the fucking um, FMV motion, uh, oh god, original videos. Jesus Christ, they are bad. They're great. <laughs> well, sure, but like there's there's a certain charm and greatness to be found in stuff that really kind of tries to emulate B movies or terrible slasher flicks or anything like that. Like one of my favorite games in the last couple of years was Until Dawn, which is like the greatest uh, homage to cheesy slasher flicks I've I've played in a long, long time. Uh, and it's just sometimes it's just fun to to get deep in with that kind of schlocky crap you know yeah i mean it does have elements of that like ramon salazar i mean that character (laughs) if you want to kind of maybe say that there is part of the game that is either unnecessary or completely necessary depending on your, your kind of preference he's probably the character um he's so bizarre like what is he is he an old child is he a midget is yeah. he just a shrunken person? Like, why can't he form with a giant plant monster? Like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those games where you're kind of constantly wondering, like, like who actually is the main antagonist here? Um, other than actually Ashley Graham herself, who does a great <laughs> job of getting kidnapped over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, the, the best way of playing through the game is play through it once and then use your alternate costumes when she's in a night outfit and she can't be hurt. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Makes the game so much better. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the things <laughs> I've always kind of held against uh, Resident Evil Four. Um, I'm not a fan of games where you're, you know, kind of having to look after someone else, and certainly where the AI is not great. Yeah. I mean, it is 2005, so what is it's to, amazing. Is to it's amazing that Resident Evil Four is held in such high regard when the entire game is an escort mission, and yeah. everyone hates escort missions. But yeah. you know. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, it's like, the best escort mission. <laughs> there's two extremes that that you can see when it comes to sort of escort missions. Like Bioshock Infinite is uh, one long escort mission, but they remove yeah, but that by you... just making Elizabeth completely uh, irrelevant to the actual gameplay. Mm. Yeah, um, she 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 hides. She is she doesn't get hit by bullets. No, like, even though it is that the story is that it's a big escort mission. She can't be harmed. Yeah, so that obviously removes any tension there, where here that tension does remain, but the problem is she's kind of annoying. Um, but you can throw her in a bin to look after her. You can so. do that, this is true. <laughs> it's one of the, the charms about the game. Yeah, um, like some of the other characters, kind of give me any uh, thoughts or impressions of anyone that, um, like to this day, that you remember. The actual main bad guy is just, like, completely forgettable. Yeah. The bloke in a robe, and he runs that other dude through with... I can't remember his name. Played it through so many times, and the other guy, whose name? Lewis or something? Uh, Yeah, Louis Sarah. The guy you fight in the, yeah, the fight, guy you fight in the house with. Um, yeah, the guy who sounds like Puss in Boots. with his big scorpion tail cock, as I guess you can, or you can call it, um, out of nowhere. And that's the only memorable moment, apart from him turning into a giant bloody contraboss at the end of the game. <laughs> Yeah, so... and again, but as I said there, like the, one of the problems of the game is that he has a number of antagonists, so you're kind of constantly wondering like who the kind of main antagonist is, and the fact is, uh, your big fuck-off hench guy, whose name um, I can't remember, like, he is, you know, he's memorable, he's intimidating, he looks the a little browser? bit... Uh, no, 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 the guy that looks like Nick Oliveri, um, with, the, with the big beard, turns into... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. oh, that guy, yeah, what's his name again, when he, his spine comes apart and that stuff... 
yeah, he's cool. Like he was, he was like the first. He's like the first really gruesome thing you see in it, apart from maybe Leon's head getting cut off. Yes, but yeah, uh, and you then, see that, and you're just like, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah, and then obviously like Roman Salazar as well is a very memorable character, even if it's a bit of a freak show. Um, so yeah, I I think that's kind of one of the the big things you could hold against um, Resident Evil Four is like the last yeah. boss is not quite as memorable as some of the other antagonists you fight throughout the series. Yeah. You find that's a, that's a common problem in a lot of games that, you know, you spend a, a long time in the critical path of games building and building towards an eventual conclusion. And it, it's hard sometimes to stick that landing at the end where the journey ends up becoming a better experience than how it ended. Yeah, sometimes that's just uh, people running out of time and money yeah. in, the, <laughs> in production. <laughs> but um, yeah, like for all its, for all its crap characters, because most of the characters in it are crap, um, when the helicopter gets shot down, and he's like, "No, whatever, whatever your name is, Brad, whatever it is, you're Mike. Like, Mike, yeah, it's like, but sorry, Mike, don't die." And you're just like, "Well, he's just, you know, well, he's the helicopter pilot that I haven't known." And then you've got who's the girl on the end of the um, comms thing, Hunnigan. Hunnigan, yeah, I think yeah. that's the one. Yeah, um, she's like completely nothing really that was a weird inclusion as well like that sort of metal gear solid comms yeah they sort of yeah. gave up halfway through didn't yeah that? <laughs> yeah maybe it was supposed to make you feel like oh i'm in touch with this like external force i'm like a special asian guy and then when that cuts off you're just like oh no i'm alone again but then it just seems kind of tacked on it feels more like a kind of yeah forced feature that they forgot halfway through more yeah, than somehow somehow the bad guys get access to it and start messaging you on it as well and you're just like what yeah i i do think again that's um another problem where the it's the gamification of the game to use wanky air quotes where sometimes <laughs> you're being reminded that you're playing a game like early on where hennigan says to you oh here's the manual how to to do this and it's like well it, it kind of you know for certainly like the original resident evil is a very immersive experience because you just you're thrown in and you get on with it where here yeah there's a couple of moments where you're like oh yeah i am playing a game yeah, at least they tried to do something that wasn't like, oh, here's some bomb prompts on screen. This is how you shoot. But it was still, yeah, it's still like a bit crap. They didn't give themselves room to for any sort of tutorializing experience at the start of it, really. So they could have given him a little training thing before he goes on journey. You know, we learn the controls and stuff. That would be cool, maybe. I don't know, would it? True. But I mean, I've always been a proponent that I like a game that just throws you into the action. How <laughs> doom, how yeah. doom. <laughs> I was going to say, but you say that, Mark, but we're really struggling through Beyond Two Souls at the moment. I think like, there's... That, that's a, there's a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. One, of the, one of them is definitely that it could do, I don't know, even something approaching explaining what it wants you to do sometimes. <laughs> sure, I, I will give you that. Um, yeah, you don't have to play through the fucker. You just have to sit on the couch beside me watching me struggle through it. You, you wanted to fucking play it. Don't, don't look at me. Um, what do you feel that, and I've, we, we kind of briefly touched on this, but sort of the legacy of Resident Evil 4, because uh, it was, again, one of the games that really uh, kind of pioneered that third-person over-the-top-shoulder the sort of experience. Like, Max Payne had done that before, um, but then Resident Max Evil... Max Payne was very much a sort of more traditional run and gun person platformer feel to it like yeah like you it played like um well it played like a, a third person platformer really like just with some guns in it yeah um and a really crap jump uh unless you were doing the jumpy time jump line i can't talk what's going on <laughs> um but um yeah like resident before really sort of brought that 
would Gears of War exist without it? Who knows? Like it sort of brought that uh, over the shoulder, really cool cinematic, close to the close to the character type shooty stuff forward. Um, not many games have really done that like that. No, I think it's definitely really? something where you um, again kind of go for that wanky sort of terminology, but you know you feel like you're playing as Leon Kennedy because the camera is up and close, and you you know you're kind of aiming through the sights of him at uh, your enemies. I think the game does a good a good job of of replicating you know you playing as Leon, mm, but without putting you in first person, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You you have all the same limitations, don't you? It's like I can only see forwards. Uh, I suppose in view more than anything, but yeah, yeah. Um, and as as mentioned, like the the legacy of where we've ended up with the Resident Evil series going certainly more in an action orientated uh, type of gameplay since, and not hey, look, for the better. Look, there's there's hope uh, that they seem to have acknowledged it and at least are trying with Resident Evil Seven to bring it back towards uh, horror. But uh, that remains to be seen. Well, I mean, this has to be said. Like, if they um, are successful with this, and from what I've seen so far, they probably could be. This is like the third reinvention of the Resident Evil series, which is almost like, as as far as I can tell, kind of unheard of uh, for a, a franchise for, to, going as long as it has to be able to do that. Yeah, but I suppose it was time for it. Like, did first three and then changed it up. Now I've done these three, changed it up. But yeah, I mean, are there any other series that have changed it so much? I mean, like, uh, like in terms of uh, kind of graphically and gameplay, yeah, there have been series over the years. But in terms of like complete change of tone, I, I don't, I can't, none really come to mind all that much. Well, it's, it's sort of tone and mechanically as well. That's the yeah, like, thing. like obviously mechanics will change over time with games moving between platform generations and things like that. But like to change the the whole kind of almost everything about the game um, in terms of like moving towards action and moving towards uh, kind of over the shoulder combat. Um, yeah, I, I can't really think of other franchises that have done that. I mean, the, the, the big one that changed like so much uh, between two and three was Fallout. Like Fallout yeah. 3 is basically, it's a, you know, I consider it my favorite Elder Scrolls game. Um, <laughs> but uh it's definitely not for me it's not, having played fallout one two years ago it doesn't count doesn't count for me as a fallout game it doesn't make it a bad game i quite enjoy it but it doesn't really feel fallouty to me despite having the same setting and everything else mm. but resident Evil 4 manages to feel like maybe it's i didn't have as much investment in resident Evil before resident Evil 4 manages to feel like a resident evil game for me even though it is such a departure from the first three yeah yeah, yeah. sure seven should be weird yeah, and I think as well, like they're they've obviously um, invested a lot into making Resident Evil Seven uh, a VR experience, which is kind of all mm -hmm. the rage these days with uh, with horror yeah, games. We're, we're weirdly and like an optional VR experience. Like they're not going full on that it's a PSVR game. It's one that you can experience the whole uh, campaign in VR if you want to. Yeah. Um, yeah, that I can't imagine that being. Uh too much fun <laughs> yeah much I, I think, heart attacks <laughs> yeah i think horror games are going to be the one that really uh tests quite how immersive vr can be because that is uh horror games are ones where you sometimes want to feel detached so that you're not hiding under your bed mm. vr vr can be so good vr can be so engrossing that doing something like horror in it can be uh a little bit too affecting yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, there, uh, there was 
there was loads of videos that kind of went around of that that kitchen demo that turned out to be the the Resident Evil Seven tech demo. Yeah. Um, of people absolutely losing their minds trying to play through it. <laughs> See, I haven't played that yet. I played a bunch of VR stuff, but I haven't played any of the horror stuff yet, actually, in VR. So, although I had a really experience with the uh, there's a Vive demo with a big old giant whale thing, and I'm terrified of the sea. I have so... seen that. <laughs> demo or seeing people kind of playing it and it looks yeah. like the the kind of scale of the whale sort of going past you looks pretty immense for a lot of people it's really cool for me i nearly shat myself <laughs> <laughs> well i was in the sea the other day and i can confirm it still sucks so you've, you've yeah absolutely well, just never been in the sea there you go keep it that way your mark robinson <laughs> sea update for the week <laughs> uh i guess we'll uh we'll kind of start rounding this off so you know, I'll ask really again, like, the, the legacy of, of Resident Evil 4, do you think it is justified in how well it kind of holds up and is regarded within the series and, you know, just within games as a general? Like, across the board, it's it's 9 out of 10s, 10 out of 10s, you know. Um, I think GameSpot gave it 10 out of 10 back in the day. Um, you know, where do you think it kind of stands up uh, within the series and as a whole? I think it feels a bit weird to play now. Um, we've, it's... We're so used to really fluid controls and really like intuitive controls that playing it now feels a little bit odd. Um, and yeah, like just there's few weird control choices, like the way you knife things and stuff. But I think it has a lot of really clever stuff in there that means as a game, it's still still bloody good. Um, and it's still a lot better than the games that came after it in the series. Uh, but I can see why fans of the original have sort of turned against it a little bit because it's like well you you did this to us you get you ruined our series <laughs> and dave oh yeah sorry um yeah i think that it, in isolation um by itself it's it, it's a great game it's you can argue about the lasting effect it had on the franchise where it kind of started the snowball rolling where things would change too much from the original three that uh five and six were wanting at best uh and as, as good as it is though it's not one of those we we have these games in the book club sometimes that still today if you're like some sort of kid that's got your first console uh, we can recommend certain games we do in this book club that still play well to this day, like Super Mario World and the like. This isn't necessarily one of those that if you're not a kid who was around when game 2005 ass games controlled that way, um, mm. you're probably not going to have as fun a time. Like I think um, for a lot of people from our generation and older, it, it's a matter of like when you go back, it's an adjustment and it's weird to play, but you, you'll get into your groove eventually. But uh the, kind of younger people nowadays i don't think it's going to hold up as well for them it's not going to be one of the games they look back on and go oh i can see why this is an all-time classic game just because of how frustrating it is to control sometimes yeah i think that's a kind of fair evaluation um okay well so uh chaz um so yep yeah, you you work at boss studios i know that you're kind of busy working on worlds adrift at the moment uh not me personally. No, not company. you personally? Oh, okay, fair enough. I, I can't talk about what I'm working on. No, but, okay. Yeah. Well, I know that's the kind of big thing that the boss are harping on at the moment. I don't know how your the teams are split and fragmented within the actual yeah. uh, the company. Hopefully we'll be able to talk about something soon, but yeah. Cool, okay. He's, well, he, he's just trying to get the hot scoops. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could literally just ask him uh, myself. Uh, but no, Chaz, uh, any, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to plug? Uh, Twitter, yourself, anything at all? Um... Actually, before we move on from Resident Evil quickly, it has some really cool bad guys in it. 
like the it has the scariest bad guy in video games the uh regenerators oh yeah shiver towards you mm. with, with their weird eyeless moors i had and also the um the little midget dudes like sidekick monsters that look like fucking uh xenomorphs on steroids oh the ones that you have to uh freeze His right hand to... which comes off yeah incredible line about that yeah the guy you have to freeze and then screw up or just shoot him repeatedly with tommy gun yeah i always that. i always hate the liquors um but they did a good job of uh yeah the regenerators I had, i'd kind of forgotten about them and i was kind of happy to forget about them <laughs> sorry no um, it's a good but, shout yeah. yeah um but there's there's the worst boss fight in the game is the giant crocodile thing because it just ruins the pace of everything i there's what is it with um like horror games of that nature like there's the fucking underwater bit in or the lake bit in silent hill as well see i haven't played silent hill so i can't remember oh that. oh Dave, yeah they will not be happy with you there sorry uh look i i envy someone who has yet to have that experience <laughs> cool you get to you get to experience it for the first time i do need to at some point i've had the very very good yeah, um, just just pretend like nothing happened after Silent Hill 3 or 4, depending on who you talk to. There yeah. was no other games released in the franchise after those four. I don't know what you're talking about. I heard about. it falls off a little bit. Quite a bit. <laughs> well, at least, at least Silent Hill and Resident it, Evil have that in common. Yeah, sometimes yeah. I lie awake at night how much it bothers me. <laughs> um. Yeah, so uh, Chaz, yeah, if you've got anything to, to plug um, on a personal or professional level, go ahead. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or uh, at Tanuki underscore Sue. I think it has an underscore in it. Let me check. There certainly is. It does. Still um, my favourite Twitter handle on, on Twitter. Yay. Um, go and check out worldsadrift.com, I suppose. Give give bosses some love because they're cool. Um, Iron Bread is out on Android soon if you're into that sort of thing. I coded the original, so, you know. You're still, still doing con- any more content for Surgeon Tim? I know you had the, the Donald Trump. Um, uh, DLC. Yes, that was interesting. Yeah. Um, I get any Republican shouting at you? Uh, we had a lot of interesting attention on Twitter. Yeah, that was fun. Um, nothing from any anyone in any particular power, position of power, but okay. you know, a lot of fanatical people saying they were going to come and burn our house down. Excellent. Um, I th- yeah, we've got. I can't remember if I'm allowed to talk about that or not, so I just won't, just in case. That's absolutely fine. Later. Not a problem. Um, but yeah, we don't think we're doing any any major surgeon stuff outside of yeah i think uh, i'm gonna say it, i might get in trouble whatever uh surgeon vr stuff is, is okay. happening but yeah but i think we talked about it oh, to be fair that sounds like a kind of logical uh yeah next step it actually it actually yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah it makes a lot of sense <laughs> yeah it's like the one it's like the one game conversion between uh normal game and vr that actually makes sense to me And we're back. That was a lovely chat, wasn't it? Chaz, he's a good lad. Yeah, he's a fine lad. F- a fine young man. Strabbing look. Again, you can find him at Tanuki underscore suit, my favourite Twitter handle, on Twitter. I've already given him the follow. Yeah. And, uh, we should follow him from the link to the cast account as well. We, we should probably already. do that as well, yeah. And uh, yeah, go and check out Bossa Studios, uh, makers of such classics like Surgeon Simulator and I Am Bread. I Am Bread. I didn't even think during the whole time we were talking to him uh, to just rave about I Am Bread. <laughs> Fucking love. Just the idea of that game is just 
utterly bananas. And uh, they're currently working on Worlds Adrift, which is something that I've been kind of watching from a distance, kind of seeing them develop and work on that. Because uh, him and actually a couple of other friends, I, I know uh, an animator guy called Ian and uh, an artist, a good friend of mine, Jamie, uh, I don't know if they're working specifically on that. I think they have some ties to it. Uh, it's looking pretty good. Uh, I'm very interested to see how that turns out. It leaves us now with only one bit of other business from Link to the Cast, and that is to uh, tell everyone what our book club game is going to be for next week so they can go ahead and play it so they can get involved with the conversation with us next week on the if podcast. you can find a copy of it. I do have I have one. No, I'm not about us. I'm about anyone oh, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. well, look, it's worth it. It's worth the struggle. I think I got mine for like 14.95 and not too long ago. Really? Yeah. Was that from the Rage or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. the Rage up on Face Street, yeah. They had a few copies of it, so like the more they have, the t- the price tends to go down I a suppose, bit. I suppose, yeah. Um anyway, the one we're going to talk about, we're taking you back to the GameCube. Um is this our f- uh, no, Resident Evil 4 might have been our first GameCube game, was it? No, we've done Metro, Metroid Prime. Oh, we Metroid Prime, yeah. Yeah, oh, my mistake. Uh, we are going to be talking about um, one of the most unique horror games ever made, and that takes some doing. Um, Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem uh, for the GameCube is going to be our book club for next week. A real, real interesting discussion, I'm sure, is going to be had. Um, so make sure to tune in for that. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much us done. Episode 40, Mark. 40 episodes incredible getting towards that half century full C plus a couple of extra ones but yeah I'm, yeah I'm looking forward to the 50th I'm what kind of thinking now already like what should the 50th episode be I at, at this rate I think the 50th one might land around game of the year are they classified in, in the they're not usually but it'll not. be around that time if yeah. not start of new year We'll have a couple of a couple of Victor thoughts about it because I've got the one game that I still haven't suggested yet, which um, is gonna I'm gonna have to do at some point. So yeah. maybe yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll we'll have a talk about it. But anyway, that is another episode of Link to the Cast in the can, sorted out, done, boom. You should go to linktothecast.eu. You really should. You listening at home, listening on the bus, wherever you're listening to it, go to linktothecast.eu. That's our website where we uh, kind of centralise all our content. It's where the show notes for the podcast go up. It's where our articles go up. All sorts of good stuff over at linktothecast.eu. I would also advise to follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash linktothecast or at linktothecast on Twitter are the best places to... Uh, get alerted as to when our content goes up uh, when we live stream we tend to live stream from twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast and then those streams and uh, some other streams that we record locally later get put on our youtube channel please go subscribe to that uh, search link to the cast on youtube and dig through all the images of Anne robinson but i think we're still second from top there on the list when you search for link to the cast uh yeah we're, uh, so if you type it in yeah you we're, we're up there yeah so you'll find us uh check out some stuff there we have a pretty uh a pretty good solid uh content lineup that runs from monday to friday on the site there's always going to be something you'll hear from one or the other of us M- monday is mark on mondays and that's the solo play series where young mark robinson uh takes us through a game he's playing at the moment starting to wrap up on undertale so what uh did we have up uh this week what were we talking about what, what where are we uh, i i'm stuck on undertale because i'm on one of the the two final bosses basically and uh as i mentioned earlier uh, the kind of battle mechanics of undertale is very bullet hell-esque and they've really ramped up the bullet hell part of that so emphasis on the hell oh uh, yeah uh, and on the bullets so i want to have this wrapped up in an episode or two but it's going to come down to my skill or lack thereof to actually get it finished so 
I have ideas of what I'm going to do next, but um, I'm going to wait until Undertale is at least wrapped up before I announce anything. Tuesdays, generally speaking, we'll pull up an old book club from a previous podcast, and as well as that, we'll do an article. How's that article coming along, buddy? Uh, oh yeah, I totally forgot to do that. I mean, it does exist, actually, so I guess I could put that up. Um, although, beyond good and evil of articles. To be fair, I just don't actually think it's very good, so I might actually just scrap, because I, I did hand that in for something else. But Yeah, I think I might just do a review of Undertale. I think I'll just do that. Okay. Yeah, I, I I put like thirteen hundred words together, and I was just like, oh, this is it's not great. So so you can look forward to that next Tuesday. But you can't win them all, so can't win them all. Wednesday is linked to the cast players, and that's where myself and Mark, as my co-pilot, sit down and play through something. We are still entrenched in Beyond Two Souls, but it looks like we're getting towards some sort of a conclusion on that one. It never ends. But I think we're finally starting to ramp up. But you can uh, you can check out this week where we are. Uh, Running around a war zone in Unspecifiedistan, followed by trying to break into a top-secret mental hospital that's guarded by one lackadaisical receptionist. I want to say that the game just gets more batshit crazy by the week, but it's Like, it used really... to be a thing, like, we said at the start where one hour would be really bland and then one hour yeah. would be really action-packed, but now it's, like, wildly swinging between the two within like, one hour. Yeah, the oscillation within that hour is... Yeah. is all like, it goes between those two incredibly different scenarios I just described there in 50 minutes. It's kind of numbing. It's really, really weird. Um, uh, Thursday is the day the podcast goes up. That's the only thing that usually goes up on a Thursday. Uh, so you can check that out. And Friday is Friday of Plays. This uh, Last week we finished off playing Virginia, which is a really trippy mindfuck of a game. And this week, I'm going to start playing Life is Strange, and I believe we're going to have a young Mark on to have a look at that. Uh, yeah, I want to. He's very curious. I want to at least see the first episode and uh, kind of see what's going on. Yeah, uh, we also sporadically do some other live streams. Um, WWE 2K17. We had a quick look at this week, uh, including possibly one of the weirdest, funniest things that has ever happened on one of our live streams at the very beginning. I won't spoil it, but it involves the start menu for the game, and it is fucking great. Can we just say that Biggie is a good lad? He's a good lad. And then our uh, our uh, our tile-by-tile review of the, the god-awful creator wrestlers at the very end of that stream is also worth tuning in for. Um, and also at some point I think possibly within the next week depending on how your schedule works young Mark Robinson we're going to have to barrel through Hitman yeah we keep so saying can, that <laughs> yeah but like we're getting towards the final episode is coming out soon yeah, and also Japan, Game of the Year is going to be this is again. true we need to finish that fucker because that might be the that might be one of the strong contenders <sighs> it's really dawning on me I have a few games I need to play before the before uh-huh. game of year I gotta throw you down on Charity 4 you need 4. to throw me down on Charity 4 yeah anyway oh, and, Indiv- I, and I still need to play the fucking witness I'll tell you what actually that might be an idea for when I'm cooking my dinner sure why not because <laughs> uh, I hate myself that much individually that man over there is at Lithium Project on Twitter I am at Dave Ryan IV this has been linked to the cast we thank you very much for listening please check us out on iTunes rate subscribe all that good business uh, really appreciate the download or however you are deciding to listen to this and we shall see you next week now get the fuck out of here go it's over <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>